Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 71 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to the show, share us around, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you have time. Uh, joining me today, we're going to have a few guests, but starting off... Uh, I am going to introduce someone that uh, I've followed for a long time, someone that's helped me get into Lucha, someone that actually I, I follow their stuff for when I have to preview like Fantastica Mania and Global Wars of Spectacular, the Cubs fan from the Lucha blog. Cubs, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. You are welcome, and uh, I really do mean that. Whenever I have to dig in and uh, get background on uh, the Lucha stuff, I do uh, tend to go to your stuff, and uh, you have helped me stay in tune with Lucha over the years because I just don't have, unfortunately, as much time as I would like to watch because I have to watch everything else. Yeah, it sometimes seems like you must have infinite time, but then I guess when you're watching you know, 25 different shows a week, there must at some point you run out of time to watch pretty much everything else in the world. Yeah, and uh, I, there there are times where I like I, I try to catch up, and uh, you know I'll I'll listen to or see what you have to say, and I'll check out match recommendations from others, and try to at least catch a match here and there. And I have caught some stuff this year, just not a lot. But um, yeah, it's um it's it's a uh, it's something I wish I could cover more. I like Lucha and Dragon Gate and a couple other things I wish I could cover more, but it just uh it doesn't happen. But thankfully, we have guys like you that cover Lucha all the time. Oh, uh, I'm glad to help. I I feel like that's kind of my role in this um, community is that I'm the person who watches pretty much everything in Lucha, so people can watch just a little bit of it. Yeah, and uh, so that kind of to start us off. I mean, what got you into Lucha in the first place, and what kind of got you into deciding to cover it like you do? You know, I go back watching wrestling for maybe not as long as some people, but it feels like a long time now when I look at the younger people who are watching it. I was someone who was watching WCW until the end. And when that went away and WWE was good, but not really all that I was looking forward to, I was like looking around for different things to watch. Um, at that point, CML and I think AAA were airing on Galavision still in the U.S., so I happened upon them. CML was in a really hot period at the end of in the start of the decade, but I couldn't find anything really about Lucha Libre on the internet. So I started trying to figure it out myself, and I figured if I'm going to try to spend this effort to try to figure out what's going on on these shows, then I might as well put that up on the internet and see if it helps other people trying to do it the same. What I didn't know then is that there were other people doing it, but the internet in the early 2000s was a lot tougher place to find things than it is right now. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> sorry, I was trying not to cough. Uh, that's that's kind of funny because I really got into the heavy coverage after the death of WCW and everything, and um, it just became my fandom was kind of waning. So I started just looking for more stuff because WWE wasn't doing it for me, which I started to get into like TNA and ROH. And then just throughout the years, I've constantly kind of added stuff. So, um, it's interesting to see that like the death of WCW and things like that just have spurned new fandom for so many people. Yeah. I think 
it's if you're just coming into being a wrestling fan in the last few years, it's hard to imagine how many people were still who watching WCW and a lot of people just, you know, moved on to other things that aren't wrestling, but there were a lot of people who were looking for something other than WWE after it ended, after WCW ended and, and ended up in other places. Yeah, and to point out to the newer fan, yeah, it's a it's an embarrassment of riches right now because I, all the lucha stuff that to kind of keep it in tie with you that's like free on YouTube and Twitch right now that was never there, and then you add in all the different streaming services like New Japan World and Stardom and Progress and All Japan. I mean, you can just wrestling is out there, let alone just old stuff on YouTube for free as well. So it's like there's so much wrestling that again, I don't think. A lot of people just don't understand how lucky they have it right now because you have you have so many choices and if if you're just a regular fan and don't have to cover it like I do, you can easily just say I'll never watch Raw or SmackDown because I could watch X number hours of this kind of stuff because there's so much out there to watch now. It's insane. Yeah, you can go so much deeper into the other promotions too, which is because it's just so much more available. When I was first starting to cover Lucha, we would be lucky if we got 90 minutes a week or we got three matches a week of the you know 20-some matches they ran each week. And now almost most of the show, CML and all the relevant AAA is just available for free if you're looking for it. So it just it's, it's an explosion in how much stuff is available nowadays. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a crazy time to be... To, you know, be able to be a wrestling fan. Um, so for those people, I know uh, there are a lot of people that always talk about they want to try to catch Lucha. They want to look into Lucha. I guess for the casual fan that might not know anything about Lucha, who are kind of the must-see guys right now in Lucha Libre that you would recommend someone checking out if they're just, you know, like a novice and want to get into Lucha? I, I think... The guy we recommend the most over everyone else is Hijo Del Vikingo, the um, the small flyer in AAA. Um, he's been spectacular in what he can do this year. And, you know, flying luchador is always something really easy to get into. It doesn't take much. But he can. he's just amazingly agile. He's he, he, he has a connection with the crowd, which most flyers feel like they're doing, like, they're doing gymnastics on their own and they're not really interacting with people, but the crowd is into him and he's kind of grown that way where he can um, get that reaction a little better. I think there's guys that he works with in AAA, like Taurus, who are just impressive in what they can do. They they can um, base well to make those flying guys look better, but they're also just strong guys who can just throw people around when they want to do that. Um in CML, it's a little bit harder because they're, you know, once they kind of ran Dragon Lee out of town, they don't have as many interesting people at the moment, and that's one of the problems of the promotion. But if you dig deep and find guys like um, Super Astro Jr. and you can, and I'm blanking names, and Halcon Serrano Jr. are like two smaller guys who are really exciting there. Their top guys are always the different. With CML, their top guys are always professional, but you can be a be a situation where you could see them once, and then you watch them weekly. You get to see those same th- they have about the same match over and over again. Like maybe it would feel if you were watching New Japan touring shows all the time. But I think 
they still, if you just watch the best stuff, some of them are still pretty fun to watch. Okay, yeah, uh, Viking, uh, I've really liked that guy. What do you think? I keep hearing, you know, there's every, everybody wants to know, like, when is he going to start working more U.S. stuff? What do you think the likelihood of that is? Is it more of a visa thing or is it a contract thing or what is it? it it's kind of both. It's funny because I think he's had three different times he was supposed to be working in the U.S. I think he was supposed to be on that last Lucha Underground season, but they couldn't get the visa done. I think he was going to be on Impact shows on WrestleMania weekend, but then Impact changed their minds, which was a pretty funny Impact move. And then he, he definitely had a visa to work the New York AAA show, but then he got hurt. So I think it's a situation where he's under contract to AAA, and AAA knows if they let him have a visa in the U.S., everyone's going to be trying to get him away from them. So unless AAA has a need for him to work in the U.S., he's probably not going to be working in the U.S. very soon. Okay, well, that makes sense when you put it that way, yeah, because I would definitely, they would, they can't lose him, because he's he's too good. Yeah, I I think they know they have something with him, and they want to do more with him, but I think they just, they want to get done on their terms. Well, I hope that they go forward and actually do it with him then, because he's, uh, like I said, he's very spectacular, and he's, um, I, I do agree, because, like, every once in a while, you get the guys that are just moves guys with a Z, and they're, they're doing stuff, and it looks awesome, but... It's just doing stuff, and he um he does feel like he has a really cool connection with everything, and he puts things together also very well and kind of effortlessly. So yeah, he's definitely a guy that I would yeah I like I would recommend him. But now that you have to, um, I hope other people check him out because he is he's kind of insane at times, honestly, with how good he is. Yeah, especially for he was really young. He was a guy who had no he he was not in like a major major promotion before triple a just found him doing a like an open tryout thing and he has come so far so fast by working with um, a major promotion working with those guys so i'm i'm wondering what we're going to see from the next few years which how with how much he's already improved well hopefully they they do have some big plans and follow up on it um kind of transitioning to another loot star um Flamita has recently signed with ROH, and he uh, he did a fill-in for Bandito on the ROH UK tour, and uh, I like Flamita a lot, and I know a lot of people have, on my site have been asking, um, what happened with the fact that MLW announced that they were signing him, and now he signed with ROH? I mean, we kind of always hear about, like, MLW contracts are very flimsy and written on a napkin, but I think people want to know, like, what the hell happened with that? <laughs> I think it was a situation where maybe MLW wanted to sign Flamita, but as far as I know, he never actually signed with MLW. That was just something they put out. But I know I've run into situations personally with MLW where I've found out from other people that MLW said that they signed them or that they said that this person did not show this show when they were actually canceled off the show. I think MLW does stuff to try to get attention that may not actually be telling the truth about stuff or tries to paint themselves in good position for parts of stories. I, I, I think it's a situation where because there's so much attention focused right now on WWE and AEW that stuff like MLW saying contracts are signed and that they're not actually signed or that they're not actually what people, what they claim to be just kind of flies in their surface with people not really evaluating it too closely when they're happening. But I know MLW did have interest in doing more at Flamita and it just, whatever reason, it did not work out. So he's kind of, um, 
he was not under contract at all when he signed with Ring of Honor. Yeah, that was this. I was wondering what the hell happened there because I do remember because we had we had reported on it and then like all of a sudden he signed with ROH, which I'm fine with, I guess. And it's just everybody was like, "Well, what about the MLW deal?" And I was like, "I don't fucking know." Which to stick with the MLW thing, what was what happened with Roosh? Because they had made a big deal about signing him. And then, obviously, he left and went with ROH. See, this is where I'm trying not to get myself in trouble, but I, I think MLW said some things, both when he was signed and when um, when they said he signed and when he signed with, CMA, with Ring of Honor that weren't exactly the truth. I, I think MLW... I, I think Rush knew that um, he wanted to work with just for dates with MLW and never really signed a contract because he wanted to keep his options open for a bigger company. And when the bigger company came along, which at least at that point, Ring of Honor was definitely the bigger company. You can make an argument now how things are going. But at that point, um, he was not under contract and he was just going to take the better deal. And MLW said some things later about what stuff they were offering um, Rush. And many of those things, if not all those things, were not exactly true. So I think MLW knows how to work the referees, I guess is the best way of saying it, to try to get themselves in the, the best pot of the light. And it, the referees have not figured out that some of the stuff MLW is saying is not exactly the truth. Yeah, um, I've heard a lot over the last year just about kind of like also on top of that, like the uh, the kind of sketchy nature of the MLW contracts and how kind of not valid they are at times. And it's a... Uh, uh, yeah, not the best business practice, I would say. Um, no, you know, the whole MLW thing is kind of mysterious. It's, they're putting on these expensive shows with a lot of flying talent, and they are drawing well, especially when they come up towards Chicago. But, I mean, the math still doesn't really, unless Beyond Sports is kicking a lot of money, I, I'm not really sure how they're making money on what they're doing right now. I, I, I know there was an article a while back say, mentioning that they're getting some venture funding, that they have some investors coming in. But I, I I wonder how they're all making this all work at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would love to crack the book to open on that myself. Because uh, <laughs> it does seem like, like I do know, I mean, honestly, they are drawing a lot better than ROH this year, and especially mm-hmm. when they hit markets like Chicago. Um, but yeah, all the flying stuff, it's like, I, I don't think they're doing that well everywhere. And like you said, unless BN is paying a lot more than people think, I, I just, hopefully it's maybe just us speculating and they actually do have a good business plan and everything's hunky dory, but that could be a, like a bad thing in the long term, as we've seen in the past with, uh. You know, like your Paul Heyman's uh, saying a lot of things and making promises that kind of never come to come to pass. It could be like the first MLW, which <laughs> I think a lot of people liked, but really could not keep itself going for a long term. So hopefully it goes better for them this time, but um, it, it's it's a tough thing for them to keep going. Yeah, uh, so we kind of, we talked about Bandito a little bit earlier because uh, Flamita replacing him, and um Bandito's a guy that I think a lot of, you know, he had a lot of hype heading into this year. He got the ROH deal, got the work with New Japan. Uh, what is it looking like his future with ROH and New Japan as we head into 2020? Um, it's interesting because as we talked last night, Friday night, Bandito showed up in CML saying he was going to be working there going forward. I don't think that 
specifically, I don't think it rules anything out except WWE, because obviously you're not going to do WWE and CML at the same time. But um, it does kind of, with Flamita going to Ring of Honor, with Bandito picking up dates in CML, kind of nudges me towards believing that he's going to end up with Ring of Honor for next year. Just because I think the other factor in this is with Ring of Honor getting like so much bad publicity, they really need to... If, if they're invested in doing this in the long term, and some of that bad publicity suggests they might not be in the long term, but assuming they are, they really need to sign some of these free agents instead of letting them all disappear. And they may just throw big money after a Bandido or a Marty Squirrel to keep them around. Um, I'm wondering if maybe part of the reason he would go... Bandido's, part of the reason Bandido is going to see him out because he wants a main event in Arena Mexico. That was a long-term dream of his. But I think that might be also a backdoor for him to still work some New Japan dates, even if Ring of Honor and and New Japan's keep going separate ways. But I, if I had to guess right now, I would guess that Bandido is still working some with Ring of Honor next year, but I'm just not – I wouldn't bet a lot of money on it. Okay, fair enough. Um, and you kind of brought up this. That's a good segue, actually. Thank you for unintentionally doing that. Uh, the uh, you brought up Bandito trying to work CMLL and hopefully being able to work still with New Japan if that's the goal. Um, how strong is the CMLL and New Japan Pro Wrestling relationship as we speak? I think it's a little bit weaker than it's been in past years because Paco Alonso, CML's boss, passed away this summer. And the Dragon Lee situation where Dra- where CML fired Dragon Lee and New Japan still wants to work with Dragon Lee makes everything a little awkward. But they're still going ahead with Fantastica Mania. Um, they're still featuring a New Japan young lion in a major way on their shows. So I think it's, it's still pretty stable. I think they, there's situations that could... It could get better, but when the Dragon League got fired, we were really worried that this that was the start of everything unraveling, and it seems like everyone's pretty much worked out their difficulties at this point, and there's the two groups are going to keep going together for the time being. Well, I think CMLL tried to do a huge honor by saving the World Tag League by sending over El Terrible. Has he? I have not. I've heard just a few things about him. How has he done? Uh, actually, he's uh, he's been a lot of fun with Shingo as a team, and he he's been per- perfectly fine, if not good, the whole tour. He's been way better than a lot of the Bullet Club bullshit on that tour. He's he's actually been a lot of fun. I haven't seen a lot of him, but I tell you, first of all, it's like they were like all the graphics were using an outdated picture of him with like long hair because he came in. He's like business casual El Terrible now with his short haircut. Right. And um, I, I tell you what, I mark out every match when he does his fucking wacky, insane windmill slaps and chops, <laughs> just beating the shit out of people. But no, he's actually been a lot of fun. I um I did not expect him in World Tag League. I knew they were going to have to fill spots because they have no tag teams and they have to throw together 800 tag teams to make it work. But no, he's actually been a fine addition. Yeah, that, that's good to hear. He he seemed like the terribly seemed like the guy who was kind of left behind because Rush and Bicia del Ring left CML, so his whole group besides him was no longer there, and that's like the second time that's happened to him. So at least this, at least he got a fun New Japan tour out of it. it. It's interesting because he's obviously part of Lij or Lij adjacent in 
on this New Japan tour, but they will not even bring up the Ingobernables anymore in CML. So I don't know what they're going to do in the long run, but at least it's working for now. Yeah. he Again, he's been a lot of fun. I didn't know a ton about him going in, but he's uh, he has not been bad at all. Uh, and sticking kind of with the theme, um, Dragon Lee, you know, fired from the CMLL thing. There's, uh, we've heard over the last year, especially that he really wants to work new Japan, like tons of new Japan. He wants that to be kind of his thing. Where do you think he ends up overall here as we head into 2020? I, I would say that everyone in Mexico expects that Dragon Lee will be signing with new Japan or it has already signed with New Japan, and it will be starting with them in January. Um, when the New Japan New Japan officials were in Mexico a couple of weeks ago, and then right as the, the last day they were there, rushed to the interview bragging about how one of his brothers was about to sign with New Japan, and we were all pretty sure it wasn't Mexico. So <laughs> I think I, I think it, it's it, it's it's a done deal. I think it's probably like most New Japan deals. It's probably a one-year deal, and then everyone figures out what they're doing in 2021. But he's wanted to be in New Japan so long, and I I think he wants to do the matches with um, Takahashi. So he's going to be there to do them next year. Yeah, I I was kind of hoping it's going to be New Japan because I think think kind of the whole thing I have envisioned is, uh, you know, Hiromu beats Will at the Dome. And that's going to send Will to the heavyweights permanently. And then Dragon Lee comes out for the big confrontation with Hiromu. And they continue on with uh, their long storied feud. So that uh, lines up with my fantasy booking well. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I can help. I, I think everyone's really hoping that that's what they do. It's just I wonder if they're going to... I don't remember is if which day they're doing the Osprey Takahashi match, but if they do, I wonder if they do Dragon Lee Takahashi on a dome or if they save that for later. Um, yeah, Will Will and him are the first day. I just I think that they'll just do the uh, confrontation and tease it for like the next tour or whatever because you got a ton of shows coming up afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I um, it it, it makes sense. Uh, honestly, I just uh. I hope they're uh, you know a little little careful this time because they, yeah. they have obviously if you've watched any of their matches in the past and just not the uh, match where Haramu got injured, uh, those guys go a little crazy. Yeah, they do it all the time. I know at least Stringley has seemed like he's decided to no longer use that the move where Takahashi got hurt on. He's put that one on the shelf permanently. But yeah. those guys are crazy enough that they can find a way to get themselves hurt in many different ways. Yeah, and it's probably a good idea that he put that move on on hold, man, because it's like it 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 kind of always looked like one of those moves that like man one one slip and somebody's gonna get fucked up, and well, it happened. So the story that no one knows is that that was not the first time someone got hurt on that move. So um, he most of the times went well, but that may have been something that they should have packed away sooner. And it's good that they're getting it away now. Yeah, so hopefully. Uh... Hopefully they can still have some spectacular matches and not kill each other. That would be the uh, the ideal game plan. Yeah. Uh, so I know one of the reasons you were wanting to talk is you wanted to talk about some uh, Ring of Honor in 2019. Yeah. You know, when I wanted to talk about it, it was a normal promotion that had not, like, self-destructed <laughs> on Twitter. So, like, most of my complaints were, like, storyline or booking related, and now it's, like, do they need to fire everyone who's in charge of the company? Because it seems that way. But um, watching the shows, it's some of the stuff that's um, impressed me is 
or maybe not impress is the right word, is how slow Ring of Honor feels like it moves toward compared to the rest of wrestling. I mean, um, it came up with Maria Manic about how she was there for six months and never wrestled. Because that whole women's storyline of Kelly Klein feuding with the not beautiful people and then eventually having the match took so long. And it was it was like it was something where it was clearly not over by week two, but it still went for four months. And that feels like the same way with a lot of Ring of Honor stuff. I'm not sure if that's if you've noticed that too or if that's just something they do all the time. Uh, no, no. This year has felt much slower than in past years. It feels like part of it feels like they're not sure where they're going. So it's like we'll just slow things down drastic. Excuse me, drastically until we figure it out. The um the the, the Kelly Klein Angelina Love angle was just baffling because the allure comes in, they attack her, they set up the match for four months. Angelina Love wins, which you would expect the heel to win. And then they take the title off of her in 15 days. And, <laughs> and yeah, and they, they take the title off to a person who clearly at that point might not be coming back to the company. Because even then, they knew they had some problems there, I think. so. Exactly. So, and I mean, Angelina Love and Maria Manic is allegedly happening at Final Battle and will probably be for the title now that Kelly Klein is on the outs. But yeah, it's ROH has been so weird this year, as and as you said, the product does move oddly slow, and then the TV has just become nothing. It's become like a glorified recap show with matches that have already aired on Honor Club, and I get that not everybody has Honor Club, but it's also the fact is that like we're two weeks away from Final Battle, and the TV show is not talked about Final Battle at all. Except for, like, they ran the number one contenders tournament, and then they ran a video package for Roosh and PCO this week. That's it. Yeah, it's so weird. I, someone told me about the, how they were changing this TV around to be more highlights, and I thought they were going to end up with something like what New Japan does for the AXA shows, where they show up-to-date highlights, up-to-date the big matches from the bigger shows, maybe on a little short delay. But this whole thing where... The TV seems to have matches that don't air on Honor Club, and in the Honor Club, gets stuff gets cut down. It's, it's just a it's a strange way to like separate your two fan bases when it's not like you have a whole bunch of people in either group of the fan base that you that you need to pull them apart. I'm not sure if there's some situation where, by rule, they have to have a certain amount of original content, and so they can't just show they can't just put the whole thing in Honor Club and then cut it down for TV, but just strange how they were doing it but then i went to a normal ring of honor tv taping before they made a change and that was so tedious too so there did need to be something to change but i'm not sure they've hit on the right formula at this point yeah like the one thing i like is that like the shows that are the tv you know the quote-unquote tv tapings now they air them live on honor club with the exception of like three or four matches and those are like saved for tv exclusives and i'm using air quotes that nobody can see and like like this week it was like Dak Draper the talk prospect winner against some dude and it was like a four minute match that was okay and like they do that every once in a while and then they show like an, an entire match that aired already on Honor Club from that show and they're again they're usually a good match but it's like the product feels incredibly dated and my biggest issue is like again we're two weeks from Final Battle they're not hyping Final Battle at all on the TV product and 
unless you have Honor Club, in theory, you're still trying to sell this as a pay-per-view to people. So, I don't it, know, maybe like do something that makes people want to spend money. Yeah, it's strange. We can get shows from Japan up to date on Access that aired like the day before, but Ring of Honor is still taping stuff and going weeks and months behind. It doesn't. It, it's it doesn't really add up. It's the complete lack of no fucks given by Sinclair. Yeah, because it's like ROH is just there to fill fill an hour under little affiliates, and. I mean, if they wanted to invest money into it, I mean, some people are like, well, they're investing money to help sign people. Well, that's all well and good, but if your TV product is shit and your production isn't growing at the pace that everybody else's production is growing, you're going to have more problems. Let alone all the rumored problems that are going on in management. Yeah, it's... There's... Something where they feel behind the times, but also feel no urgency to catch up with anyone that's a problem. But I want to go back to something you point you mentioned. They had you mentioned Dax Strapper or whatever his name is had a four minute match on TV. I'm trying to. He was a top prospect winner. They aired that match on pay per view, but I don't think we've seen him on Honor Club since then. If I'm remembering right, as far as I know, we haven't. See, that's like an overall problem. Another overall problem I've I've had, I've been surprised by with this year is that there isn't, they're not pushing any new guys. You saw at the start of the year, they cheeseburger and cheeseburgers friends um, were a trio that there was on Honor Club, but then they disappeared for most of the year. You coast to coast, who I believe have been around for a while, but at least they're younger guys compared to the rest of the Ring of Honor roster, have been either on the TV tapings. I know they were in Germany for a while, but they're just not featured in any way. Um, there's not like a new wave of people to get behind. It's all bringing in people who are a little bit older or a little bit or like free agents from someplace else just to fill spots, but doesn't feel like they are building people up to have, they, not, there's no one in Ring of Honor that you're getting behind now that because you think they'll be in the big start for the promotion in 2021. It's all guys who have been around for a while. And it, it, I think it makes all the TV feel a bit sameish, and you, you always need that new star for fans to get behind. Yeah, they definitely need something, because it's like, you know, they brought in Jeff Cobb, and they gave Jeff Cobb the big push. He beat Punishment Martinez in, like, two minutes to win the TV title. You know, he wins. He's in the best ROH-related match at Madison Square Garden with Osprey, And then they have him lose the title. And even though he didn't get pinned, he's still technically undefeated because it was a four-way. And then his undefeated streak is sacrificed to put over Matt Taven in nine minutes because he's going off to the G1. And so it's like you had him built up and then he loses. You bring him back after G1, you build him up again, he loses to Roosh. And then like he's going to face Dan Moff here at the pay-per-view, which I'm sure will be a good match. I'm not certain that Jeff Cobb's sticking around after this year, man. I don't think so. They're, oh, it, at least it feels like they're booking him like they don't expect him to give around to stick around. But there does feel like I, this feels like this goes into the overall booking thing is that there doesn't seem to be a lot of long term plans for the people that they brought in. Like Cobb had the TV title, but after that, he was just a guy to put over the guys they were actually going with, and there's nothing they were really doing with them. You take a guy like PJ Black, who they signed for this year, and I'm not sure if people in Lifeblood don't disappear or get hurt. He probably does nothing the entire year, and I'm not sure why he's there. And there's other 
people there's you know bandito is the one that sticks out for me as a guy that they were way behind early in the year and then once he got the loss to russia at, at the anniversary show they kind of seemed like they lost interest with him or he got hurt at the wrong time but there was there, they seem to be signing people but they don't seem to be signing people with a plan to use them which concerns me where it comes with flamita and dan Mapp for next year are they just signed because they were guys who had good matches on their shows or are they signed because they have an idea of how to use them and it's hard to believe they have those many ideas right now yeah and that is that is such a problem because it's like like the lifeblood thing i, I feel so bad for the guys that were left behind and got involved because the whole lifeblood thing, you know, David Finley gets her Tennille's contract, and so she decides she actually wants to make money, so she leaves. Uh, Juice Robinson reportedly didn't want to come back because they weren't paying him, right? So you have Tracy Williams, uh, Mark Haskins, and Bandito left behind. And the good news is that in-ring-wise, they were one of the most consistent acts throughout the whole year for the company. They were all really good. The bad news is they had no direction other than they were lifeblood and that they would have a bunch of good matches and then lose the big match. And on top of that, every time they were ready to get a six-man title shot, Brody King or PCO would get hurt, so they'd have to cancel the match. Yeah, it was... At some point, they need to redirect lifeblood or somehow acknowledge that they were missing half their members, but they were okay. But the whole the original concept that they were here to bring honor back to Ring of Honor when it didn't feel like there had not been Ring of Honor before. It's it was it was a weak concept to throw them together, and then they really didn't they didn't do them any favors with how they were used or booked at all. It was just um, it, it was a failed concept. I think the villain enterprises idea, which is pretty much almost the same idea worked a little better, but that's because they actually got the big wins and they got the titles and they got to make their own title belts in the end. Um, they came off a little, so much stronger than the Lifeblood. I think it seemed like when the leaders of the group of Lifeblood left, then also somewhat the interest in Rune of Honor and in in giving them the big wins also went away too. Yeah, so that has unfortunately been a mess pretty much all year for those guys. I felt extremely bad for them because... Like I said, they've been one of the more consistent acts all year. They always have good matches. I enjoy a lot of what they're doing, but it's it's just there's there's nothing for them. So I I I'm I'm thinking there's going to be a change coming up, and I think it starts a final battle because I'm gonna throw this one out. I was gonna have save it for my preview. I'm gonna throw this one out for free. I'm booking final battle for him. What I envision happened, because we have Roosh and uh, PCO in the main event. There's no way that's going to be a straight wrestling match. Because, God love them, PCO is extremely limited. And it's going to break down into bullshit. Villain Enterprises are going to get involved. Marty and Flip are facing Flamita and Bandito, Bandito earlier in that show. I think Villain Enterprises wins that tag match. Then I think in the main event, Villain Enterprise is going to come down to try to screw Roosh. Roosh has been talking about he wants to have like a super group in ROH. And that's where Dragon Lee, Flamita, and uh, Bandito all join with Roosh. Which will kill Lifeblood off finally. And give Roosh his little Lucha super group. To run wild in 2020. I think it would be interesting. It worries me that they keep doing these Roosh Kenny King skits that they put up on the, the Twitter, that they're going to 
ally them because I don't think that's a good fit. But I think uh, working with doing sort of a lucha group would about be much more interesting. So, that's what I'm envisioning happening. The lizard man can have that one for free. So, but yeah, I just um, uh, they they yeah, like you said, they they need to have plans with guys, which it's very obvious they don't when they bring a lot of people in. And I, I'm hoping that they can change that for 2020 because this company is in a scary place. I mean, you look at that uh, that Chicago show on the Spectacular Tour, which did not draw well when Chicago has been a safe haven for ROH over the years. Um, because that the company could be doing poor attendance around wherever they're running. They could even be doing bad in New York and Philly. But they could kind of always count on going to Chicago and drawing a thousand fans. And yeah, that... I was at that Chicago show, and it was just amazing how small that looked in that venue. And then coming back like a few weeks later to see Impact in the same exact venue and see it being so much more full, it just even put more a sign of how bad Ring of Honor is doing right now. See, that's what I was going to ask you. I knew you were at those shows. I knew that I heard that the ROH show was around four or five hundred. Would that be roughly accurate? Yeah, probably near the low end, too. Okay, and then I heard Impact probably did 11 to 13? Yeah, that would sound right. Impact cut down the room a bit, but which Ring of Honor should have thought about doing, but also, but the room they had was full, so yeah. um, they did so much better. Okay, yeah, and then, you know, and then I, I, always, uh, I always rant on this one. I keep hearing that uh, people keep trying to tell me that Chicago was getting burnt out, and that, uh, here's my favorite one. Chicago wasn't interested in the luchadors. And, you know, from from my recollection, Chicago seems to have a decent uh, Hispanic population that likes luchadors, and MLW seems to be drawn really fucking well with luchadors there, so I don't see that as an excuse at all. No, it wasn't. And Impact put uh, put the AAA match in Chicago because they knew they would draw Mexican bands in there too, and they did. So I think it was more not making the connections in the market to promote the luchadors. Um, there are shows I've seen with the with one of the local luchador lucha centric promotions that have drawn better than that Ring of Honor show did. It just they did not connect with the people in promoting that and that. And I saw a few people, few familiar faces I see at the lucha shows, but not really the turnout you would expect. And the thing is, too, is by all rights, if they would have promoted that show well, it really could have and should have done better because if you were marketing towards that Lucha fan base, the Taven and um, Volador storyline had a deep history to it that they really should have played off much better and they didn't. And the fact that you were bringing in, like... Granted, I mean, a lot of people like the New Japan stuff, and it's like, hey, listen, we're trying to do something different. We're bringing Lucha to you, and Lucha does well in Chicago, but not kind of when ROH is attached to it. No. I, I think the New Japan stuff is also has more of a draw because there's at least English-language versions of those shows, and those always help. But Ring of Honor could have done more stuff in English to get the... The, get those guys over to their fans before they came in. And most of them just came in very cold. And I think the people who did go were impressed with what they saw, but I don't think they convinced a lot of people to go in the first place. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's rough looking at the, co- the company right now because it's a, uh, 
you know, ROH was kind of always that, you know, you go back into the early days of ROH is like when you had to buy the DVDs and tapes and you would always hear like, you know, like, like the, the observer would come on, like, you know, heard in Chicago this weekend, Danielson had another match of the year candidate. Everybody needs to seek out this show. And you kept, you know, you'd read the message boards and everybody that would go to these shows and they would talk about these great matches and like, you have to see it. And it's just like, there was this insane amount of buzz when the company was extremely small because they were putting on this product that felt must see on so many levels. And now the company is theoretically healthier than it's ever been because of the Sinclair tie-in. And it's just, I don't know if you want to say the soul's been stripped away or whatever it is, but it's just, you know, they don't obviously have the talent. And as you'll hear later in the show, Jerome and I talk about, um, you know, the uh, the recent takeover, the main event was basically ROH One Night Stand. You look at all the talent the company's lost over the years. And yeah. it's, it's kind of sad. But the thing is, too, on top, like, to counteract that, I guess, it's not like there's no talent out there. I mean, they've brought in good people this year, you know, like a Bandito. And they brought in Roosh. They've used Dragon Lee. So it's not like there's no talent to use. It's all about how you're using it. And a big part of the downfall, and it's been talked about, and it'll be talked about later in this show, is you lost the Elite. You lost Cody. You lost the Young Bucks. You lost access to Kenny Omega. You lost Adam Page. You lost SCU. Now, depending on who how you look at those guys, the fact are the fact is that they were building Adam Page up to be a major star. SCU were always in the mid-card, having good matches, could always be pushed into the tag or six-man title scenes, and occasionally you could heat one of them up for a singles title shot. So they were always reliable. Kenny Omega, when he made his limited appearances, always drew. Cody proved that he was a draw for that company. The Young Bucks were a draw for that company and had excellent matches on top of it. You lost all that. So you bring in a Tracy Williams, which is a great hand. You bring in a Mark Haskins, which made sense after he did well in last year's UK tour. You brought in Bandito, who was becoming a hot act and getting tons of rave reviews. You bring in Roosh, who has a following and who, when he's doing his thing in the right context, is really good. You bring in Dragon Lee, who can be absolutely phenomenal at times. So again, they it's not like they didn't try to bring people in. They had Jeff Cobb, they had PCO, Brody King other guys they brought in. The cupboards weren't bare. It's just how you use these guys and everything hasn't been used well and you go back to the Madison Square Garden show. And that's where I think the big disconnect started. Because attendance wasn't horrible early on in the year. It was showing signs of decline, but it wasn't horrible. You get to the the ROH MSG show with New Japan you crown Taven as the champion. You fuck up the Marty thing. Your half of the show is generally shit if you're ROH, for the most part. And then after that, Taven is world champion. He's cold. Attendances are plummeting. Overall profile of the company, safe to say at an all-time low. Especially when you look at things like that Chicago attendance. Yeah, it's... 
that MSG show was their chance to show what Ring of Honor was going to look going forward. And they unfortunately did a really accurate job of what Ring of Honor was going to look like going forward. Um, and that's, that's why they're in the situation where they are. I think it, it, it it's when it's a strange thing to me because I was not someone who was hugely following Ring of Honor when, before this year, I would occasionally, I went to some of the first shows when they came to the Chicago area. I've gone to some more recently, but I was not really this year, whenever I post like stuff about Ring of Honor, about something not going right, I get people saying, oh, it was so good before. Don't you remember the excer- these, p- this match happening? And I just kind of nod my head and pretend I know what they're talking about. <laughs> I- I've, I've read about I've heard about but I, I did experience the way they have. So it's just a weird experience filing, filing a promotion that's clearly in a deep struggle and also just kind of cloud by the memories of what it, what people had of it before. I think I think there's a lot of resentment towards the promotion that's unexpected, that people, not just about the elite leaving, but even people who were turned off by the promotion when the elite were there, who are kind of glad things have turned out the way they are because they were warning them that all this long investment in the elite is going to end up badly. It's a situation where I feel like, even if you could say, even if you believe Delirious was doing a good job, you kind of have to get rid of Delirious at this point to give the promotion a fresh start to get people to take a new chance on it. Because I think no matter what free agents they bring or which free agents they sign, it's still got the people who feel like they've been burned by this by this era of Delirious booking that will not come to this, give this promotion another chance until they get, they're given the reason to believe that they might be doing something different now. Yeah, they they need to dump Delirious. They need to dump Bully Ray. They need to dump Greg the Office Boy. They need to they need a total institutional overhaul because yeah, it's I... it's a toxic environment. From even even if the rumors and stuff coming out aren't one hundred percent true, even if only a portion of it in, that's still a toxic environment. And as you said, there there's a giant segment of fans that feel burnt out on the entire delirious run because I cannot. And I, again, I don't mean to sound repetitive because you're going to hear more of this later on. He has not created one star. His entire booking run. No, especially this year. It's all been people. They've, they've bought their way into the start. Like a, like a sports team trying to buy their way into the playoffs by just spending a lot of money in free agency. It's amazing they've had this money to spend to, to buy all those people because you're not seeing the money come in that way, much like we were talking with MLW. The, the math doesn't completely work out, but at least they have some clear back in them. But they, you cannot say, I don't, you can't say one act is more over at the end of this year than it was at the beginning of this year. Beginning of this year. No, I can't think of anybody, honestly, and I'm trying hard. Maybe maybe the bouncers. The bouncers are going to – everyone's going to say this year sucked, but the bouncers had the best year of their life. But, you know, that's an opening card, opening match tag team, and if that's the best you've got to offer, you don't really have much to offer. Yeah, to their credit, <laughs> I will say the bouncers are over, and they've had some good matches this year. But, yeah, yeah again, they're a opening mm-hmm. low-card act, and that's – it's great that they're over and you need an opening low card act that is over because they, those are good things. But again, it's what they are. It, they're not going to be main eventing your shows. Nobody's buying tickets to see the bouncers. 
God bless them. I'm sure they're lovely gentlemen, and mm. I, I enjoy a lot of their stuff they do, and they're they're fun, and the fans do like them. But yeah, you need to you need to make main event guys, and I just I I still can't fathom even if he even if they're you know because they were leaving at the same time we found out theoretically until Saban Taven resigned. It's like I don't understand if you want to try to make Taven a star. Why you don't put the title on Marty at Madison Square Garden when he was the most overact in the company? Let him run until the fall when he's allegedly going to leave. Then strap up Taven if he's staying. Try to make your star that way. But it's just like the the Marty thing, they, they blew a chance to make money and they, they blew their chance with a segment of fans because he was their last tie to the elite. Right. It, it's... It, it's... It's going to be the thing that this year is going to be remembered about Ring of Honor is just not making that decision when it was a very easy decision to make. But I think sometimes people get caught up into overthinking things, and that seems like a situation where they, at best, overthought things or they just did not think at all. I'm not really sure, but one of those two things. I don't know. I guess the the big defense from from the internal was that, well, Marty's going to leave. It's like, yeah, but he's not leaving for another fucking eight months. Yeah. It's like, make the money while you have the chance. You worked yourself into a shoot. Just do it. Yeah. I, it, I, I don't if you're If you're running around in 2019, you've got to go on the idea that everyone's going to leave. So you just don't worry about who's going to leave. You just try to make the money. You try to do what you can while people are still here. And they had a chance to do a lot more with Marty while he was still there. They did. And it's a shame. I mean, there, there's rumors he's staying. A lot of people think he's gone. I, I kind of think he's gone too. If he stays, I, I, I'd be fucking shocked. They keep having him do these weird promos where he keeps hinting about. He keeps talking about how he's never won the world title. Yeah. Set, it seems like the set, which like seems like a tease for him to somehow still go after the world title. But it's I think with the situation they're in, it's hard to believe. I think the point in Ring of Honor's favor is that they're that AEW is having so much is trying to keep like so many people as the top guy around the top guys at the same time. And they can't really do that for everyone. You can see that like Am page has got moved down just because they need to do with other people that maybe it's sometimes it'll be better to be like the big fish in the small pond that is ring of honor than to go to AEW And maybe you don't get to be that top guy all the time. Yeah. And obviously he could always join in another year because he's always going to have that connection to those guys there. And you can, He'd be over whenever he comes in, but yeah, it's just, it feels so weird because I guess like, I don't, I, I mean, you know what, maybe, maybe they're going to they have a sweetheart deal for him and maybe he's going to make some good money and he's reportedly their top merch seller and he probably makes a lot of money selling his stuff. And I mean, if the guy's happy, I, I'm happy for him. I, I'm just kind of, I'd be slightly shocked because it's like, the NXT thing is like obviously he'd make money in WWE and Dion is there and you know he'd be able to be with her more and then all of his friends are in AEW so it's like you know you could see the uh the want to leave but I think you bring up a good point in that like he'd probably come in with a huge hype but then just be a guy for a bit because it doesn't seem like there's room for him at the top. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing with Ring of Honor, which came up with people asking me why Flamita had signed with them, is that, you know, if you're working for Ring of Honor right now with their schedule, um, I don't know how it used to be, but it seemed very minimal this year, where you're going to work 
40, maybe 40 dates and probably get six figures in money. That's like pretty good work. And then you can do whatever else you want on your free time if you want to get booked elsewhere or you don't even need to get booked elsewhere. Um, AEW is not really asking for that much more, but it's a lot easier schedule than working in WWE where you have to show up for a performance center every day and work on work TV every week and work these small shows in between them. It's Ring of Honor schedule. If you just want to get paid and you don't want and you want to have like a few days locked, only a few days locked down, it's a pretty good deal at this point. But you also have to worry all those leaked um, text exchanges and Twitter exchanges sound like a promotion that does not seem like it has long-term plans. So do you want to get locked in with Ring of Honor and be worried that they're going to sell the company next year or something like that? that, that that's, the, that's one of the downsides. Yeah, and um, to, kind of, to kind of wrap up on this, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked Jerome later on in this show. Cubs in 2020... Is there an ROH final battle event? I think so because of inertia, but I would not bet large sums of money on it. Um, I think I think it does feel like a promotion that's heading more to a sale than an expansion. And but I don't know if they can if they'll get done next year. Fair enough. Yeah, I just uh, th- there's been so much that have come out over the last month or so that it's a. Uh, I don't know, man. If I'm if I work for that company, I'm scared. Yeah, I, I think you've seen a lot of people who were not involved in that directly in that in the Joey Mercury Greg exchange say keep their heads down and not say so much in the next couple of weeks, the last couple of weeks, because they they're probably just as concerned about the future as the company as everyone on the outside. Yeah, I joked a few weeks back when they. Um, they posted after one of their shows a big uh, happy roster photo. I'm like, we are ROH, our morale is fine. And I jokingly said, I was like, that felt like such a play out of the Dixie Carter playbook. Exactly, yes. You know, like, every, everybody get in the ring and smile so we can say, fuck the internet, everybody's okay. Yeah, that the kind of thing you only do when you know you're everyone believes you're in a lot of trouble and you have a lot of problems that, if everything's actually fine, you don't really need to take that photo. Yeah, so it's a it is definitely a scary time for that company and it's um a company with a lot a lot of history and that would be it would be very unfortunate if it ended up shutting down following this kind of horrible strand of events and like outings of the institutional breakdown behind the scenes and it it, it would just be sad and um I mean, I'm sure some people would be happy if it existed just as a a channel page on the WWE Network, but it would be really disappointing on that that's how it went. And people, because that would take away opportunities for people to work or people to get experience. Um, you know, I have to say, the, I, I don't want to be all negative about Ring of Honor. I want to say, just at least pick one good thing to say. And I would, would like to say that Quinn McKay, who's been doing their interviews for Ring of Honor, is really is like the best prospect they have in that promotion. She's very good at her job. And I'm, I think Ring of Honor is so, under, is so not watched at this point that people haven't realized it. But she's the person who probably should be picked up by AEW or WV right away. Because I think she comes across very well with what they ask her to do on the, on the stuff that's mostly on the Twitter side. But I think she's a strong personality in a position that really usually doesn't have strong personalities. She is. She's actually very good at her job. And, um, 
Yeah, it's it's one of those few things, and like I like Ian Riccoboni a lot. I think Ian does a really good job, especially with kind of what he has to work with at times and trying to make sense of everything. I think he's a very good commentator. I, uh, I think they have the best commentary group they that any of the promotions do. It's kind of a weird thing that they have. They're really set there. I mean, even. Caprice and Colt do good, and then when they pull in like a guy like Dalton Castle, he does great too. It's the, that part of the that the, everything else maybe not working as great as it should be, but that part of their game is really good. Yeah, and they do because yeah, Ian and Colt are very good together. Caprice can be really good. Caprice was actually re- surprised me when he got to do a little Japan earlier this year. And yeah, I, I enjoyed him on those shows too. Yeah, he, I was like shockingly surprised. He did really, really well there, and I was like, "Well, good for you, dude." I'm like, "That's." I, I love to see when people get a chance like that and kind of knock it out of the park unexpectedly, you know? Yeah, so he did really well, and um, yeah, again, and I I've liked a lot of you know I like seeing being able to see Rouge and Dragon Lee and Bandito, and I think getting Flamita was really good because I like him a lot too, and he was. Like I said when I did my preview stuff, I was like, nobody can really replace Bandito, but like, if you're going for like the next best thing, Flamita's a pretty damn fine replacement. And he did good on that tour, and so I'm glad he got signed, and hopefully he's happy and gets to do well there. Yeah, I, I think he's I think he's a guy who has had close calls on coming to gain the U.S. deals. So he was also on Lucha Underground for about an episode before things fell apart there, so... I'm I'm hoping Nirvana stays in one place so he doesn't go to another place that falls apart right after he signs. Yeah, yeah, that would be that'd be good. I was uh I was kind of surprised. Uh, I I thought he might end up with Impact actually at first because I, you know, they brought him in and I was like, you know, and like AEW like used him on that show, so I was like, I kind of felt like Impact might try to snag him. And because um, I knew LAX was on the way out, and I thought there'd be someone they could have Conan do stuff with, but uh, yeah, for whatever reason, you know, it didn't didn't work out, and Conan got to hang around with the ECW guys, and then disappeared. Yeah, it's kind of weird because he was a big part of Impact and MLW at the same time, and I don't think he's on TV with either of them right now. No, I haven't seen him on MLW in ages after uh, they beat him up and took Selena's phone back. Yeah, so. I'm not sure what's going on there. It, it's Conan. It's hard to tell. <laughs> yes. He could still be working behind the scenes. He could be working with more, more promotions at the same time. It's tough to tell. I know. He, he's working with like 18 companies or something. He's going to bring in the new Latino invasion again. Yeah. It's it's just hard to tell. But uh, Cubs, I want to thank you for uh, for wanting to do this and talking with me today, man. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And uh Nice to talk a little bit of Lucha and dig into some more of the ROH stuff here. And uh, please let everybody know where they can follow all of your goodness. You can follow me uh, at Lucha Blog on Twitter. I, my website is LuchaBlog.com. I do daily news updates with everything that's going on in the world of Lucha Libre. I review all the Lucha Libre shows I can. They're, it's not as many shows as you review, but it does feel like a lot of shows sometimes. Um yeah, I also run the Lucha Wiki at luchawiki.org. That's an encyclopedia of Lucha Libre, and have a, a lot of other little projects you can find from my Twitter. The, the Lucha Wiki was my huge go-to during the Global Wars of Spectacular tour. I had to look up many things. So, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I'm glad I got started. I'm glad I have a crew of people who are happy to update all the time. So it, it's it's I'm glad it exists in the world. 
I am too because people like me need it because like I said I want to I like to try to provide as much info when I have to do a preview of that stuff as I can because I know my readership isn't deeply into Lucha either but I, I can't be like well he wears a mask and does some flippies and he's pretty cool he might win <laughs> yeah there's still like a gap on Lucha Libre knowledge that we can always get better on but I'm glad I've I'm glad that's out there so people can um, people can gather some information and go from there. So, but yeah, uh, thank you once again, man. I do appreciate it. Uh, everybody, follow Cubs on uh, on the on the Twitter machine, and again, that's where I get all of my lucha my lucha knowledge these days because I don't have time to watch everything. So, we will talk to you guys later and head off to our next segment. And welcome back to the next segment of our show. We just got done talking to the Cubs fan, and now I'm going to welcome back my occasional co-host, Stephen Cook. Steve, how are you, sir? Oh, hey, hey, hey. Pretty fantastic and full of uh, full of turkey. There you go. Full of turkey. Thanksgiving. You know how it is. I uh, actually have not had my Thanksgiving turkey yet because the family was away. I will mm. be having uh, turkey, I believe, Sunday. Huh. So I cannot wait. Uh, well, that works. Yeah, hung out here at uh at home. The uh, the girls all went with her parents up to her brother's house because uh, Chris's brother is in the military and uh, he's stationed now in Virginia. And is him, his wife and kid are up there. They have a new house and he's uh in the middle of a bunch of stuff. Has a promotion and gonna be deployed eventually. So uh, they decided oh. to spend Thanksgiving with them. And sure. I just had way too much to do because I would have been working the whole time if I would have went, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, that's that's no fun. And yeah, you know, it's it's awkward. You know, it'd be kind of awkward. You know. Yeah. All so, the business, especially so, if you're working all the time too. Yeah. So it's I like we out. drug this guy all the way up here, and he's just ignoring us. What the hell? Yeah. So <laughs> I uh, I hung out here, and they went up and had a nice Thanksgiving, and so yeah, so I'm hanging out, doing stuff, reviews, podcasts, and uh, yeah, again, this weekend is a, a little bit of a different show because uh, Jeremy is on the road. He is at the WrestleCade event. This no. weekend, and uh, oh, I think our old friend Chrissy Van is there actually. So maybe they'll say hello. Oh, Pro- probably not. <laughs> I don't think they have each other. But <laughs> so, uh, but Steve Cook, we're we're going to talk about some wow women of wrestling today. I know you're one of the few people that had regularly watched the show along with me, and kind of before we talk about it. Um, there's a shit ton of wrestling, obviously, to watch right now. Yeah. I know you've always been a fan of the women's wrestling. I know you love the uh, the lovely ladies of wrestling. But uh, what made you decide to invest some time into WOW Women of Wrestling here, Season 2? You know, it's kind of uh, it's kind of nostalgia in a way, to be honest with you. Because I go back to, uh, I think it's, what is it, 2001 or 2000? It's 2000, 2001. One of those years. Uh, they had their very first uh, season. They had uh, 13 episodes syndicated like at midnight on Star 64 here. And I would watch it because I was a teenage wrestling fan. And I watched pretty much every every single bit of wrestling I could as on television when I was home. And, of course, I was home at midnight on Saturday night because I was a teenager and had no social life. So, hey, it got me through a lot of nights. What can I say? Between WoW and Roller Jam, that got you know young Steve Cook through a lot of nights. But, uh yeah, and of course they had the pay-per-view with uh, Lee Marshall and Bobby Heenan announcing good stuff, and then the show disappeared for a while, and it did some stuff here and there. You'd you'd see some stuff online or whatever, but 
once it came back last year and you hear the old name wow women of wrestling and you know i'm also i also like the glow stuff that i've seen and i also like the glow show on netflix so it's just you know all that david mcclain goodness is just down there right up my alley what can i say fair enough man and uh so you know wow airs on access tv uh, ran by David McLean and uh, financially backed by the Lakers Genie Bus. A lot of money there. Yeah, and uh, the first thing I do want to say is uh, this show has great production value. It really does. The graphics, the the video packages and whatnot. Uh, as far as the production itself goes, it's really top-notch. And I would say the only real weakness you ever see in, in the show, and we've, we'll probably get to this later as well, is also, uh, well, if there were more people watching this show and more GIF images online, I would have a lot of material for my botch column. Let's be honest. Yeah, they uh, they have to do some creative editing at times during the matches. <laughs> and sometimes they have finishes that just get fucked up. Yeah, and it's... Uh... It's a little off, but I mean, the production-wise, the show looks extremely professional. It looks very clean. Yeah. Uh, it looks, honestly, if we're comparing, it looks way better than MLW. It looks way better than ROH. It looks better than Impact. Um, yeah. Just in terms of clean production values. And that's not taking a shot at those promotions. That's just, that's a compliment to WOW. They've done a very good job. I mean... You may not have the very best wrestling product, but one thing that takes people out of a show very quickly these days is lack of production value. Oh, yeah. Yep, just missing stuff and just being completely, you know, just uh, shitty production pretty much. And uh, that's always been kind of uh, one thing that McLean's shows have uh, been good at. Like, Glow had good production for its time. And the original WoW had good production for its time. So they just finished up. Uh, we had season two of the show here on Access TV, ten episode season, including a uh, double uh, season finale, where we had some title changes and stuff. Kind of overview on the season, Steve. What were your just general thoughts on the season as a whole? I thought, um, I, and I know you'll probably agree with me on this one, that the uh, show was largely carried on top by Tessa Blanchard. I mean, we we all know that if you've seen her on Wow, if you've seen her on on Impact Wrestling, you know that the, the girl's a star. That's all you can say. And uh, she's pr- by far the most talented woman on this show and a well-deserving champion for most of the season. And it's an interesting interesting story they told with her, too, where she was trying to duck these challengers, trying to duck Jungle Girl, who had been with Wow forever, and ducking the Beast, who is the new girl that they're trying to, trying to push to the top and have be their next big star. And, of course, uh, you know, Tessa would use means to get around those two and have matches with the likes of, likes of a faith the lioness although i can't i can't blame her for uh, i mean rena reyes got title shots and uh you know i, I had no problem with serpentine getting title shot i thought that's well deserved yeah um i agree that yeah tessa definitely as far as star power carried this season she is i, I wrote it after the season finale that if you're not sold on how good tessa blanchard is you should watch WoW Season 2. She had a really good match with Serpentine, which is Cobra Moon slash Thunder Rosa. Yeah. Uh, that was really good. And she was another bright spot of that Season 2. She was really Yeah, whatever good. whatever you name her, she's very good. Yeah, she had a good match with Giselle Shaw, Rena Reyes, who is uh, 
So, someone who has really been impressing, and uh, her and Tessa actually had what I heard was a great match over during the uh, British J Cup for Rev Pro. Really physical, good match. So, uh, just yeah, Reina was a lot. Reina did well to drop the mask too from season one. Yeah, but she's all she's someone that's coming along really well. She's gotten looks by Impact and ROH and WWE at times. So, would not be surprised to see her sign somewhere soon. Um, but she showed a lot in season two. But Tessa carried that promotion, and what I said was, is if you're not sold on her, you need to watch two matches, and I'll tell you why. She worked a match with Jungle Girl. And, the, you know, the, the whole gimmick with Jungle Girl is they, they praise her as this... She was in undefeated for 18 years. I mean, although yeah. the, the whole fact is she's worked like 50 <laughs> matches in 18 years. Yeah, so, she pretty much did nothing in between uh, in between WoW stints, right? Yeah, so I mean... She was off doing... I don't know what that was. I don't know if it's true. I heard she's Jeannie uh, Buss's, like personal trainer. Could be. So Could I mean be. I don't know. I'm just rumors, alleged. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean so I mean, but the whole gimmick with her was she was this big undefeated star. So anyway, you know she loses the title. Then her and Tessa have a match. Tessa drags her to a good match. <laughs> Does everything she can to make Jungle Girl look like someone that was undefeated for 18 years, while never sacrificing herself or her star power. Right. And then the season finale is the Beast finally gets her title shot against Tessa. Which they've been building all season. The Beast Beast was their hot young up-and-comer, ready to go. And the Beast is somebody who has a fantastic look. She looks like a Beast. She's jacked. She has a great in-ring presence and and, uh, presentation. Not exactly the most polished in-ring performer. Well, it's just to be expected because, like we're saying, she hadn't... I mean, I I can tell you how long she's been wrestling, but it's it's not. Well, all I know is she doesn't have a cage match profile. So there you have it. That's okay. Uh, in in ways she she kind of reminds me of early Monty Brown, to whereas she does have some charisma, she has a great look. You can tell there's something there, but she's really raw and needs a lot of work. Which is why you put her with girls like Tessa Blanchard. So, so in the season finale, the Beast wins the title. And again, Tessa takes her to a good match. Tessa largely selling the whole time, putting her over, making the Beast look like a Beast and somebody that's going to carry that promotion. And again, in the whole thing, Tessa loses absolutely nothing. She is an absolute star. She's a great performer. She gets it. And on top of that, obviously Tessa just has the the always talked about it factor, Steve. She does, and it's amazing to me how she can go on this show and play this character, and then over on Impact Wrestling, she's doing a completely different thing, and she's equally successful in both, in both roles. Exactly. So, I mean, tons of credit to Tessa Blanchard. Um, as far as the people for me that carried the season, obviously it's number one Tessa Blanchard. Um, far and away, uh, in, in kind of like the sub roles, I thought Serpentine and Reina Reyes did a really good job, but for me, the other standouts were, was the tag team of fire and adrenaline, which is Kiera Hogan and the former Diamante. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I've seen Kiera fire in some other places as well. And, uh, they, they definitely gelled together pretty well. Uh, I really liked the match they had with, uh, it was, uh, Monsters of Madness, Havoc and Hazard. 
Yeah, and which is a well experienced tag team. Who's been they've they've been they've been teaming places for a long time. You can tell that they yeah. had great chemistry. Which for those of you that don't know, the Monsters of Madness are Jessica Havoc and Navia. So yeah, they're um they're they're obviously they've tagged and they're linked because Navia is married to Jake Chris and I believe Havoc is dating Sammy Callahan. So they're part of that whole kind of group there. Yeah. Uh, and they played, yeah, they, they just played a good monster tag team, Fire and Adrenaline, who are, the, the best part about their story is they came together and it felt like a sweet, wholesome moment on TV, plus adding to the fact that they're a real life couple. There you go. So it, they, they had a natural chemistry and yeah. they were a great little underdog babyface tag team. And the whole season was built to them getting into the tag team series, winning the tag titles at the end. And again, they were another highlight of that season, which is they're going to get lost in 2019 because of all the great stuff happening and all the great tag team matches. Because this wasn't like a great tag team match. It was really good. It told a good story and it was a culmination of a really cool moment. Uh, Unfortunately, like I said, it's just going to kind of get lost and everything because there's so much out there. But uh, they were really good, and um, Adrenaline slash Diamante looked really good all season long, and it just, you sit there and it's like, I kept thinking for the longest time, Impact could have done way more with her. Yeah, what happened, didn't she just get injured there and just like, disappear pretty well, much? Here's what happened, she got injured, and then she came back, and they did an explosion match with her and Sue Young. Oh. And it was bad, and it wasn't her fault. Because Sue Young is all character and not She's really good. She's got a great character, room. yeah. But and not much else. It was pretty much her fault. It was bad. And from what I heard, Diamante got the blame, and they yeah, just Sue, Sue's with. not gonna get the blame there. Yeah. So that's what happened there. I when when my big thing is, I was looking forward to when LAX was running and they had the Decay stable with Abyss, Crazy Steve, and um, Rosemary. I thought you could have done a lot yeah. of stuff with all of them. And because you had the two women that could have went, you could have done a women's title feud. You had the tag titles involved. Could have done a lot there. And it just, it never happened. And that kind of always depressed me. So yeah. she, um, I thought she did really good in this season. She kind of did the, uh, she was like a little hybrid of like MMA and Lucha Libre, which worked out really good for her. Uh, Kira Hogan is fire. It was just a, a great baby face. You know the, the the Ricky Morton of the team many times, yep. and just uh, they it was it was just a really good combo, and then you have the monsters to play off of in the season finale, and uh, just really good stuff. Really enjoyed them. Yeah, I, I liked a lot of the uh, tag team stuff they had on the show. They had a lot of, they had a lot of solid tag teams. I thought at least uh, tag teams that had good characters and kind of made sense together. Like you know, the Psycho Sisters were fun. You had to like those 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 three girls, all crazy stuff, and. Uh, uh, the bully busters were cute, you know, and then of course you had uh, Siren and, and Holodead, that whole thing with them and uh, Princess Saucy, which uh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about all that. Uh, the one thing that, can, as while I'm thinking about this, the one thing that one of the kind of the drawbacks for some of the storylines in WoW this year to me, uh, there were a lot of heels, there were a lot of a uh, lot, lot of heels, there were some storylines that kind of you're watching you're like who am i supposed to root for like the whole business with uh holodead and siren and the uh, princess aussie then you have the psycho sisters coming in and like holodead and siren are teaming with aussie at some point and they're all fighting and i wasn't sure what to make of the whole situation it's kind of weird there 
then the other thing where I thought uh, could use better face heel dynamic was the business with uh, Amber O'Neill, where finally Amber O'Neill, uh, where Lana Starr gets a new protege, Faith Linus, and ditches Amber O'Neill as a Beverly Hills babe, which was always a bad fit anyway. I didn't think Amber really fit into that role. She fits a lot better into the role of the, the, uh, the tag team of Jesse Jones uh, with Southern Pride. Which, uh, But then you have uh, Lana Starr as a heel, and Jesse Jones obviously a heel. So, like, who am I supposed to root for? Am I, am I supposed to root for Amber uh, reasserting herself as a Donald Trump supporter? I, I wasn't quite sure how to go with that whole situation. Yeah, it was really weird because it's like they did the turn, Amber goes with her and, you know, goes back to her roots as a Southern gal. Which is fine. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's a better fit for her, but. Exactly. At, and at then, the same like, time, why are they still messing with Lana and Linus and all that? Well, they had to get revenge, which I was fine for. So they booked them as, like, baby faces for two weeks. Which is weird, yeah. Which was fine <laughs> because it was okay in that feud because Amber came off as a baby face afterwards. And then they just turned them heel because the uh, the Southern Asians stole their boots. The Dixie Darlings. Yes. Now, do you know anything about the Dixie Darlings? I was wondering if you knew their background or not. Uh, I really don't. I didn't have uh, time to dig deep into backgrounds. They're, they're they awful promising. cute. Uh, they look promising. I'll say that. Uh, well, Jolene and Joe Lynn. Until they get in the ring, yeah. yeah well, we, 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 that, that, that can get better with time. <laughs> Bully Buster's also very cute. Kata Rush and Steffi Slays. And uh, Steffi, had, Steffi had a lot of stuff going on this season. Her whole feud of Abilene Maverick, where uh, Abilene was pretty much avoiding her the whole season. And that, of course, got blown off in the in the final show. Which, let me jump to this topic now, off of Steffi Slays' business on the, on the final show. How about that uh, Teal Piper interview segment? That... That was good stuff. That was hilarious. She that was, was great. Like, we need more. We need more of that. Definitely. She was the most condescending bitch. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, Teal interviews Steffi Slays, and like, she's part of a tag team called the Bully Busters, and she's an underdog babyface who's won like one match. Yeah, she she beat the disciplinary. So Teal Piper interviews her, and she's like, Steffi Slays, you're coming off a win over the disciplinarian who was sick at the time. And Steffi's like, no, no, she was fine. She wasn't sick. She's like, well, I heard she was sick, and that's the only reason you won. And she's just like over the top, healing it up, but like not cheesily. It was so funny. And yeah. she's like, well, I heard she was very sick anyway, so you lucked out in a win there. <laughs> and like just she kept going at it and it was just it was it was it was really good and unexpected so it's like like i have no idea if teal piper will ever become a good wrestler or if she will wrestle much but she definitely has potential as a personality and she definitely you could tell uh kind of tell that roddy's personality rubbed that rubbed off on her a little bit there yeah uh, and you talk about uh amazing finishes on this show <laughs> Steffi Slays beats Aveline Maverick and she she goes to do the, the, the Rana into a cradle and she does the Rana and just kind of ends up sitting on her. Yeah. It's like, well, not, not that the was, best way not the best way to blow off the feud. Yeah, no. yeah, choices there, you know, it's like, that's uh, all right. That's Steffi Slays, what do you want, right? Yeah, the, the other thing that kind of like just bugged me early in that season was they did so much Vince Russo main event booking uh, <laughs> to where like you would do hype up a big match and it would end in a DQ or it would end in a no contest. Yeah. I mean, and that's what pissed me off at partially is because most of these 
most of these finishes that were obviously disqualification were just called no contest. <laughs> yeah. Well, I call them disqualifications. They can fuck off. Well, wow, the the wow booker, the wow uh, record books. <laughs> if you can find the wow record books, there's there's no contest there. It's in the know. library next to the TNA rule book. Yeah. <laughs> in the Library of Congress. That's, That's right. right. So, but yeah, it's um, so overall wrestling wise, there was a wide variety on this show. Other another tag team I should shout out real quick. I got to shout out Chanchilly Chella and Sassy Massey. Okay, I will say that this was the most <laughs> tolerable Alicia Edwards has ever been to me. <laughs> she was pretty. I thought she was pretty good in that role. I thought she was pretty. No, good. she was. That's what I mean. I mean, I I can't stand her on Impact. Now, well, yeah, the booking up there too with her and Eddie, and I don't know what's going on with all that. I mean, she's constantly a bitch and yelling at Eddie, and then like when she does wrestle, it's like she's usually not good. Yeah, and she so, usually gets squashed, right? Uh, for, for the most part, but unfortunately, yeah. it's, it usually goes too long. And it's like, but at least like in WoW, she had like some personality and had like some solid outings, so I could deal with that. Well, maybe but, it's just a matter of Eddie not being around. Maybe. But maybe. Uh, yeah, the the wrestling kind of ran a gambit here. It, uh, there you, was some good, some bad. There was the Temptress, uh, <laughs> one of our favorites from back in the day, Katie Lee slash Winter, who, well, she didn't. She wasn't very successful for the most part, let's be honest. She was putting people over. Yeah, but I mean, again, that's fine because you that's need... That's probably her role at this point. Yeah. yeah, you need someone with experience, though, to work with some of these girls that are not seasoned wrestlers. So I, I have no problem with that. But yeah, it's like you would have... You would have matches that were downright bad and that were filled with obvious edits, like... Not only jump edits, but like <laughs> random crowd shots for 15 seconds. Yeah. You're just glad they ended quick, pretty much. Yeah. So it's like you just had this like weird stuff. And then like there was a lot of stuff that was it was fine. It never went like it never got a chance to be anything more than fine. And it was just kind of like lackadaisical at points, but like not bad. Which, I mean, I will take that over bad. Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I not if I'd say lack of days as much as they were, they were trying for the most part, I thought, as far as I could tell. I mean, I, I'm kind of wondering why Lana Starr's still wrestling at this point, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, one could argue she didn't wrestle at all. Well, she, she was in the ring occasionally, I'll tell you. And uh, another question I kind of have for you is, how did you feel about there being a new uh, disciplinarian? It was what it was, dude. It because, was recasting. Yeah, the original show had the disciplinary, and then they have a new one, which, I don't know, it's it's a little bit different. It took me some getting used to. But then I kind of wonder, you know, with the way that movie franchises and whatnot get, get rebooted all the time, it's kind of surprising that wrestling hasn't tried to do that more often. Fair. I mean, Lucha's done it. Lucha definitely does it. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's because, especially WWE, like, they're audience is so old that they couldn't get away with it <laughs> i was kind of trying a new nature boy rick flair out there that wouldn't work <laughs> i was hoping when the new disciplinarian came out that they would have had the voiceover uh guy from the soap operas now playing the role the disciplinarian <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, she was fine though she was fine all right don't get me wrong i thought samantha smart was good in her role and i know david mcclain was a big fan of that paddle yeah he was a little creepy at times with the paddle <laughs> 
<laughs> Which, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know about all. I don't know about all that. It's uh, the paddling has been kind of out of vogue for well, back before the original WoW, right? Probably. I never saw a paddle. <laughs> I did in elementary school. Nah, wow. Okay, that's probably about when it went out. Yeah, they uh, they did that back in my day. So, um, but yeah, so it's like you had this like kind of like bad stuff and then you had like middle of the road solid and what I meant by like days ago by the way is like it wasn't that I didn't think they were trying it was just like not a lot of crisp to the work and not like an extensive layout just like kind of like go out there and do this and try not to fuck up and do your best I mean yeah if you look at the match times for the whole season I see two matches that went above 10 minutes so yeah they were given a lot of time <laughs> And if they're and they might have had some time cut out too. There's probably definitely some of that too. So and then like the stuff that was that was good in the season. If you're looking for good stuff, you need to look for tag team stuff with like fire and adrenaline, monsters of madness. Uh, as far as the single stuff goes, um, excuse me. Obviously the Tesla stuff. All the Tesla stuff was good. Yeah. And uh, Serpentine and Reina Reyes had some good matches as well. So they're the ones out of the season that if you're looking for the good stuff and like this is on demand or you have it on DVR, look for that stuff. That's the good stuff. Um, you mentioned Faith the Lioness earlier, by the way. Is anybody buying She's 19? No. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay, who was the tag team who, who was the tag team that feuded with the Jumping Bob Angels, Steve? That would have been the, the Glamour Girls. Yeah, that, that, that looked like 60 at the time. Yeah. But we're apparently in their thirties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I think Lilani Kai is sixty now. Yeah. So I mean I think uh Faith the Lioness could fit right in with him. Hmm. <laughs> could be. Could be. How do you feel about uh Malia Hosaka and her random appearance? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So the uh the speaking one of, of the, speaking of older yeah, speaking of elderly wrestlers. No, yeah. I shouldn't say elderly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get, get yourself in trouble there, Steve. I know, right? But, I don't want to get in trouble uh, yeah, with her either. She's one a badass. Of the, one of the season closing <laughs> angles was Fire and Adrenaline win the tag titles, and they're having the big baby face celebration, and Malaya Hosaka makes her return, which a lot of people will remember from sh- the early days of Shimmer, and she did well, and apparently there was a falling out there. Uh, lots of rumors as to why, and a lot of it involved her personality and the way she was acting towards younger talent. Mm. So <clears throat> she comes back with two unnamed ladies who are going by the name Exile. And she cut a big promo on how she was exiled from the company because she's a, she's a respected veteran that helped make this business and she's not a second or third generation star living off her family's accolades and the, Shots fired some people there. that's right so she was uh she was back to basically take over with her minions that are unnamed i was wondering if you recognized her minions i did not and i did not find out who they were and uh even casey uh from squared circled sirens online didn't post that i know who they were Oh, well, so I was gonna say when Casey doesn't know who someone is, I mean he's like the expert on women's wrestling and finding out all the dirt, and he knows all the tryout info. So it's like, yeah, if he doesn't know who they are offhand, it's like I feel okay not knowing who they are. So we're gonna guess probably Wow Trainees then. 
Uh, very likely so. I guess we'll see if there are Maybe more her episodes. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it was alleged that they were her students, so maybe they are in real life, and I guess we'll find out if we get more episodes. But, uh, yeah, season two ended, and from all reports, there are still some stuff shot in the can, which I guess may see light. I don't know. Um, And I don't exactly know if there will be a season three, because there's been no official announcement yet. And, Steve, you brought up something as we were talking off-air. They did a really... Kind of weird blowjob segment with Jeannie Buss. It was it was strange, yeah. They had all the women around the ring and Tessa in the ring cutting a big promo on WoW and thanking Jeannie Buss for giving all these women a place to show their craft off and kissing her ass and like basically like, you know, please give us more money to do another season and they gave her a WoW championship belt and hugged her and it's definitely what it felt like. It felt like a please, please give us more money. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. And uh, I got to admit, too, I am not a big fan of, uh, you know, Tessa was a heel the whole damn season. And here she is out here cutting this fiery baby face promo for Jeannie's bus. I mean, what's that about? I have no clue. Yeah, That's weird. I, I, and it's just one of my pet peeves when they do that sort of thing where, People who were previously feuding come out. They all stand around the ring and act like nothing's the matter. Like on NXT this week when they all started rapping their way down to the ring at the top of the show. What the hell was that? Brand supremacy, Steve. Jesus Christ. That was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's like they did that segment. It was really weird. Yeah, it had nothing to do with anything either. There's no connection to anything else that I could think of. Other yeah, than it felt very shoehorned into the show. <laughs> it was true. Well, I mean, Jeannie Buss was the, uh, I think she was the person that started the women's revolution. Excuse me, Stephanie McMahon invented women? <laughs> Please keep your facts straight. Yeah, Stephanie's going to have some words, I'll tell you. Maybe, you know a, what? Maybe Steph might not be happy with Malia Hosaka either. The whole segment is leading to Jeannie Buss and Stephanie McMahon at Mania. You know what? I think I can be okay with that. <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if be I don't know if be a wrestling match or not, but you know, you know what I'm saying. So, um, but yeah, it's, that was a really weird segment. So, uh, overall, Steve, what did you think of WoW Women of Wrestling season two? Like, if you had to give it a grade, if I had to give it a grade, um, well, I we can't say there are really any match to your candidates. We can't say that uh, you know. Uh, like you said, the most of wrestling was kind of fair in Midland, but uh, and as I pointed out, the story, some of the storylines were a little hit or miss. They're a little, a little too much heel stuff for my liking. Some of these storylines, but I enjoyed it, man. I thought it was a, a fine time. A, you know, a good way to spend forty minutes or however long the show is. I'd probably give it a solid. Uh, I might go as high as a B minus, C plus, something like that. Yeah, I think I'd give it I'd give it a solid C. I think overall I found I mean there were a couple kind of bad episodes, but I thought overall it was a solid presentation. I, I greatly appreciated the the high production values. Because yeah. it's like I mean, I can deal with an average show if I have to, but if it looks like shit, man, it's like that's just gonna like run me off. That's a different and it looks it looks different from the other shows too. Yeah, so I mean I appreciated that. I, I thought it was solid. I thought again, Tessa Blanchard was clearly the star of the, the promotion the whole time. 
Um, there is no, 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 no disagreeing with that on any level. She she put people over even when she was winning. She put over the beast at the end. Um, you know, so she got her big comeuppance. They paid off that whole season long angle. And yeah, it's just, she stood out. So yeah, I give it a solid C. Um, and again, if you're looking for stuff to watch from that season, uh, Tessa, Serpentine, Reina Reyes, Fire and Adrenaline, Monsters of Madness. That's your go-to stuff, I think. It's you might also want to watch Chloe Hertz for completely different reasons. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> Chloe Hertz is a wrestler, allegedly. <laughs> and for those of you that know, that's uh, that's Katie yeah. Forbes. That's uh, Rob Van Dam's girlfriend whose ass is uh, appearing on Impact now in hot tub segments. I mean, you know what? I mean, uh, people come up with the phrase, uh, the, the guilty pleasures. And I have to admit that, for me, Chloe Hertz is a guilty pleasure. Because I'm not saying she brings anything to the ring as far as work rates or ability goes, but uh, she used to I bring still, the I ring still like rats her. to the ring. Yeah, yeah, the ring rats. <laughs> the ring. <laughs> oh man. So, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it, it was it was a fine season. I I I wouldn't mind watching more of it if they brought it back because I I do think there are bright points to take away, and I do like. Again, it's like it, it has its place in the fact that. Again, if you want higher level women's wrestling, you you go to Shimmer. Go to your Shimmer and you'll get that. But I mean, this is giving women a chance that aren't in WWE, NXT, AEW, and Impact a chance on national TV that otherwise they wouldn't get unless it was just like an enhancement match. And you do get your bonuses. I mean, you get girls like Tessa and Havoc and people like that that appear in other places too. Exactly, and kind of sp- transitioning to kind of like a just women's wrestling in general, Steve. I think you know, two thousand eighteen, two thousand nineteen, we saw a big swing in many ways. Uh, Impact's knockouts division is getting a lot better, and you know, there was obviously a point you and I talked about a lot where the knockouts division was the best division of wrestling. Yeah, definitely back stage. in the mid two thousands, mid to late two thousands, yeah. So, with Gail Kim and Austin Kong and all they're, that. They're they're getting back to that. They have a strong roster. They're getting TV time. Uh, you know, you have you have Taya there. You have Jordan Grace. You have Havoc. You have you have you. Have, they're building. They're adding some more stuff. And to kind of stick with Impact Wrestling, Tessa is, I think, safe to say, the biggest star in Impact Wrestling right now. Uh, and you, I think you'd have to say so. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, and she's going to get a chance to see how much of that is valid and how much they can do with it because she's getting a shot at the world championship here in January. She's going to face Sammy Callahan. They've feuded through most of this year. They've had two matches already. Both of them were really good, bordering on great. They work well together. Sammy Sammy understands how to work with Tessa. And I don't mean that as in working down to her. He understands that intergender wrestling has to be carefully done. There has to be a give and take. It cannot just be... I've talked about this a lot. There there was a really excellent David Starr, Mercedes Martinez match from Beyond this year that I watched. Excellent. Like four and a half stars. Loved it. And the thing with intergender wrestling is you get into these weird territories where... On the down part of it, you have women that feel like they need to prove themselves. So they kind of just let themselves appear to get the shit beaten out of them. 
Yeah. And it becomes and it becomes uncomfortable for a segment of the fan base. And then you have the other end of the spectrum to where they kind of take way too much of the match against a bigger opponent and it becomes unbelievable. And it's very rare to get that great middle ground. Uh, I talked in the past, I saw in person a great Sarah Del Rey, Mike Quackenbush match in North Carolina for Chikara. Mm. An excellent professionals there. An excellent technical mat based wrestling match. Really, really good stuff, including Mike Quackenbush yelling at my daughter Hannah. That's always a highlight. Because Quack was like working her knee and he was kind of being a dick about it. And <laughs> Hannah yelled at him to stop being mean. And this was the fallout of the BDK angle. And mm. Quack goes, Do you want me to forget the last thirteen months? Yeah. And Hannah was like, shit. She sat yeah, that's down right. and was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, but no, I mean, and that was just a great professional wrestling match done right, had a great balance. The David Starr Mercedes Martinez match was also that because, again, two professionals in there, great give and take, both got the shine. You never felt like Starr was abusing Mercedes Martinez. You never felt like Mercedes Martinez was getting way too much on David Starr. It just came across as two great professional wrestlers having a professional wrestling match. And I think Sammy's figured out a lot of that with Tessa. And the other thing with Tessa, too, is Tessa is not a dainty lady. Tessa Blanchard is, and I mean this in the right way, she's big. She's muscular. She looks like she hits like a ton of fucking bricks when she's hitting someone. And you believe that Tessa can take punishment from a man. She's the leader of the Rough Riders, for God's sakes. Damn right. They're going to come on you harder than they've come on anybody. Oh, that's fantastic. So, and so it's like, Tessa is very believable. Alicia Edwards is not believable in a role like this. <laughs> Tessa Blanchard is, you could make Havoc believable if you wanted to in that role because of her size. Size alone, she's believable. Exactly. Yeah. And the fact that like when she throws, she looks like she's killing a person. Yeah. So it's like, you can make it work with the right people. And it has to be the right people on both ends. You have to have a man that is willing to give as well as he gets, but you have to have a woman that's believable in the role, and that's Tessa. Because not only is she the biggest star in the company, but she's like she's one of the better wrestlers overall in the company, and just it it can work with her. Whether or not they're gonna pull the trigger and whether or not it's actually gonna work and maybe build business is an entirely different story, because I don't know. It's but funny. if but if you're going to take the chance on somebody, Tessa's the one to take the chance on. Yeah, that's why you got to find out. Try it and find out. Try it, see if it works. And <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, Impact has been getting better recently as far as quality goes, and they're picking up in attendance and whatnot. But uh, they're kind of still in that position where they, they can afford to try something like that and see if it works or not. Exactly. And the thing is, too, is now they're playing completely with house money. Anthem owns Impact. Anthem owns Access TV. So you don't have to worry about alienating the network executives. You don't have to worry as much about advertisers because Access has built-in advertising packages for the most part. So you can take a chance on this. You can try to see if it works. Excuse me. Again, I don't know if it will. 
But if you're going to take the chance on someone, I'm 100% fine with it being Tessa Blanchard. Hey, and if it doesn't work, then her contract expires in a year or whatever, so you're good. <laughs> uh, and, and you're not wrong there. So, I mean, um, and yeah, and speaking of Tessa, I, mean, I, I will say, and we kind of talked about this off air as well, when her co- contract comes up, she's getting paid by somebody. Big. Either Impact is going to have to empty the coffers to keep her, or WWE is going to throw money at her, or AEW is going to throw money at Yeah, or AEW is going to throw money at her. And, I mean, she's going to get paid. And here's the thing. There were a lot of people after the first Mae Young Classic that were critical of WWE for not signing Tessa Blanchard. And, yeah. I, and I said at the time that it was the right call for them not to. Because during that time, there were a lot of reports out there about Tessa having personality issues and causing problems. And I guess for lack of a better word, being immature. Hmm. There's been plenty of time passed since then. Yeah, She is matured as a woman, as a person, and she's gotten a hundred times better as a wrestler to the full point that she can be the ace of any women's division. And I think if she would have signed with WWE, she would have been one of 50 women stifled in the warehouse in that developmental system. I think that, yeah, and uh, given the attitude issues that you mentioned, the immaturity issues, the woman I think of where probably the level she'd be on would probably be Ivelisse. Yeah. I think that's where she'd be. Exactly. And the thing is, I think that time not getting signed by WWE was the best thing for her. Because she got to work around the world. She got to work with a ton of people. She got to improve herself as a woman, as a person, as a wrestler. And now, look at how good she is. She's going to command top dollar when her contract is up. And she's going to have the choice to go anywhere she wants. If Impact is getting better and offers her enough money and she's the biggest star in the company, maybe she stays there. Maybe WWE offers up the big money. And then maybe she's straight head main roster bound. Uh, yeah, I think you have to. I think you have to put her with uh, right wherever those other horsewomen might be. That's right. I would think. Because I mean, you can tell a great story with her and Charlotte if you want. Mm-hmm. So you can do that. And then I mean, if I'm AEW and that contract comes up, that that woman's division needs work. It needs to be better booked, but it needs an ace. And Tessa Blanchard can be your AC or division. So she's going to get paid whenever that contract comes up. And God bless her. Good for her. She put in the work. It's what you got to do sometimes, man. And, uh, yeah. And I think at this point, whoever, wherever she ends up, I don't think there's going to be a, I would, I mean, there could be a way where it doesn't work out, but, uh, you'd have to be really incompetent, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, like I said with Rhea Ripley, I mean, you if they fuck that up. Oh, and uh, man, I got to tell you, that Survivor Series book, I don't know, that Survivor Series showing was a little little, little questionable book in there, I thought. I was not happy with that. They would have been much better off just putting her over straight and clean. But They're on back on the right track on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of com- coming out of Survivor Series weekend, Steve, I mean... You know, we, Jeremy and I have talked about this a lot. Right now, from what you're seeing in wrestling, the the NXT women's division, best women's division in wrestling right now? I'm going to have to say so. 
Because I, the one knock I've had on in, in the past is that uh, Shane has been a little too dominant as champion. I mean, and there's there's a lot of talent there, but it seems like Shane has just always been presented on another level. But now with Rhea Ripley, they finally found somebody who people buy on on that level. I don't think there's anybody watching NXT that doubts that Rhea Ripley can beat Shane Baszler. I think that's uh, I think that's what we're all waiting to see at this point. We'll see how long it takes for that to happen. I know Shane had. Unfortunately, Shayna's main event match at Survivor Series didn't quite go as well as they had planned. So I don't know if that's going to... I don't know if that, if that affects him for Shayna going forward or not. But as far as uh, Ripley goes, she's got... I think... I've I've thought her future's been bright for a long time. The first time I saw her at the Mae Young Classic, I thought she had a bright future. It seemed like the only thing she was missing was uh, a little bit of confidence. And she looks confident as all get out right now. I mean, she looks like somebody that could just... Uh, kick anybody's ass in the world pretty much and uh somebody on offteam.com kind of said like uh she should probably be booked like the female super cena and uh that doesn't seem like a bad idea i mean just have her have her just walk up to everybody and maybe she gets her ass kicked sometimes but uh she should not be backing down to anybody yeah rhea has been absolutely great and jeremy and i talked about this a little bit on the the fallout podcast from survivor series weekend if you would have told me a year ago that Rhea Ripley would have lapped Tony Storm in terms of becoming possibly the next big women's star, I, I, I would have laughed. That's a fair point because, I mean, yeah, Tony's, I don't know what happened with Tony, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, the Tony Storm thing has been really weird. It's like she's seemingly worked more non-WWE than WWE this year. Uh, especially after losing the uh, NXT UK title. She just returned this week on TV. But, like, Tony had everything going for her. She had the hype. She had the look. She had the matches. And then it just kind of got really flat in NXT UK. And, obviously, you can say that's an indictment of the NXT UK product on some level. But, I mean, you could have also made the argument that she shouldn't have been put there and that she should have been brought to NXT or the main roster. So it's like they whatever was gonna happen with Tony Storm just it, it fell to the wayside. And that's unfortunate for her, but the, the emergence of Rhea Ripley has been such a wonderful thing to see. I mean it's she definitely showed p- good potential in the first May Young Classic. And then you come back to the second May Young Classic and she's a completely different person. She became herself. Pretty yes. much was what happened there. She found her confidence. Like you said, she became herself. The in-ring got even better. And then it's just, from there, it's snowballed in a good way. And she has just done nothing but climb and climb and climb. And again, I do think for her, the NXT UK thing worked out very well for her. Yeah. Because she was still obviously living in the US and she was working all the NXT house shows. But when she would go over and film NXT UK, she also got a taste of what it was like to be booked as a star. So that was a big thing in her maturation process and her growth as a performer. And then she was still getting the benefit of all the training in Florida and working the house shows. And now it's paid off because she's going to be a big deal in NXT and she's going to be a big part of that show. And you look at the top of that division, Steve, you got Shayna you got yep. Rhea, you got Candice, you got EO, you got Tegan, you got Dakota, you got Mia Yim, you got yep. Bianca, 
I mean, you got that top of that NXT women's division is just fucking stacked. And you got your girl Zia Lee, they're just kind of a notch below them. Yeah, and I was, that's what I was going to say next. They're starting to build up Zia Lee. And, you know, so you still have work to do underneath, but they're building something pretty special there. And it's really cool to see. And, yeah, the NXT women's division for me has been a real bright point since they hit TV. And I thought the build to the women's war games match um, was, it was great in its sneaky goodness because everybody was focused on Shayna's next challenger and the obvious men's war games. To yeah. where the women's war games almost snuck up on you, but then if you looked at it, it made sense booking-wise, starting with the first NXT on USA. Because of how they built all the feuds underneath to work into it. Yeah. And then they had a great war games match. You had the great Dakota Kai heel turn. Which, which le- uh, I think I'd revitalized her character, I, w- I would say. Yeah, and then you're going to get a ton of matchups out of that. Because obviously, you know, she faced Candice, they did a DQ. You're going to eventually have the Tegan Knox program. It'd be um, a kick in her chair. <laughs> yeah. And um, you're probably going to end up having um, Mia Yim versus her. Because it's probably going to be revealed that she's the one that took out Mia Yim. A lot of, a lot of the sneaky backstage attacks that next day. So, but um, I'm kind of I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm loving the NXT women's division. Uh, you know, main roster women. I mean, there's obviously potential, and you brought up the Survivor Series main event, which was not well received by pretty much anybody. Ah, uh, gosh, I think Becky might like the Nile. Well, Becky liked the end when she got to stand tall, but that was about yeah, it. yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, and. Uh, We've talked about Shane, and Shane has been the NXT champion for how long now? And I guess the plan was always eventually to move Shane over to Raw or SmackDown or whatever. And they're probably building towards something with Becky Lynch. But uh, do you think that performance there at Survivor Series does that does that change your mind? I, I mean, it could. I don't. I, I don't put it all on Shane though. I well, yeah, that's a thing though because Becky and Bailey didn't do a whole. Well, lot here's the thing: the match layout was shit. It was the lazy three-way formula. It was too much one, two in, one taking a nap on the floor. And then just the general layout and work wasn't exciting on any level. They didn't, and I'm not talking even high spots. I'm just talking in terms of building drama, building to a climax of the match. There were no real peaks and valleys during it. It was a three-way that went too long. It wasn't that interesting. Put on five hours into a show when everybody was tired that made it even worse. You know what? That kind of sounds like the WrestleMania main event to me. Yep. And then I think the worst part, though, about it was I think when everybody saw that this was put in the main event spot and that commentary was hyping up Ronda as Shayna's friend and uh, the triple threat at WrestleMania, blah, 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 I think everybody was expecting a big angle at the end. So then you you got a. You got a disappointing, what I would call average at best match. And then you got Becky throwing a temper tantrum and standing tall afterwards. And that was it. The man. So, (laughs) you know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not quite sure where they're, where they're going. The whole situation. Um, 
I I did not catch Raw this week, so I have no idea. Did they tease anything for Becky going forward? No, I don't even think fucking Becky was on the show. The one thing I've seen teased for Becky would be actually, I think for the Starcade show, they teased a, uh, they announced like a four-way for women's tags with uh, the Kabuki Warriors, and one of the teams was Becky and Charlotte. Yeah, the big rumor is that it's going to be Becky and Charlotte versus the Kabuki Warriors at TLC. Because I know they're doing the Charlotte Kabuki Warriors feud right now, which, and I'm not sure who's supposed to be a baby face in that one either. Oh, I, <laughs> I think it's know. supposed to be Charlotte, but you know, <laughs> it's supposed to be. But I mean, I, and God bless Charlotte; she's a great, she's a great talent, and whatnot. But it's, I don't know; she's never been really. She's never really been able to get that baby face reaction, that whole baby face pop or heat or whatever you want to call it. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I was going to say maybe it's because her face keeps changing. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's It's been green mist time I've seen it lately. little bit. It's, oh, my God. That was like the most amount of mist I ever saw. Dude, Monday night you missed it. Oscar misted her, and it looked like she threw a fucking bucket of mist in her face. I heard, uh, I listened to Meltzer and Alvarez talking about the finish with the, you know, the referee's just looking right Charlotte with all this mist all over her face and doesn't think anything of it. It's like, what, what do you think happened there? Well, first of all, that's been in wrestling for how long? <laughs> the, the thing, the, the gimmick with the mist is if the ref sees it, he DQs you. If he sees you doing it. But like, it's like an after the fact thing, he can't prove it, so they never do anything. But you got green all over your face, though. Yeah, but you can't, was, you can't prove you can't prove that it was Oscar. Did Charlotte miss herself? Maybe, maybe someone else snuck in. And, there was a there was a Mister on the grassy knoll. Well, Kyrie Sane was out there too, and she. I mean, we all know that Japanese women are able to do that, right? I mean, apparently that's that's that's, that's Japanese the women and mischief. Mischief <laughs> can also be missed. That's right. So yeah, it's just it's weird, but I don't know. I, yeah, it's a. Yeah, Charlotte has never really done it much for me as a babyface. It's just, I just don't think that's her lot in life. I just think she comes off, she can do a tweener, I think, but she comes off much better as a heel. Yeah. I just think everything she does, her size, her demeanor, plays better into being a heel. Yeah, because she's bigger in most girls she wrestles too. Yeah. I just, I find it hard for her to gain sympathy, to be honest, and it's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure maybe if they really, really tried with it. But the fact is, is like they're not defining her personality enough to make you care about her being a baby face. It just feels everything is so random to fit the moment with no real direction. Yeah. It, uh, it didn't just kind of happen one week because Bailey decided she wanted to be evil. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bailey went to be Pam. Pam got pissed <laughs> off and yeah, Charlotte <laughs> became a pseudo face. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't know. And while SmackDown, then you got the SmackDown scene there too, which I don't know if that's going a whole lot better. And looking like Lacey Evans and Bailey. Oh boy, <laughs> they made Lacey a face. Jesus. Uh that's what it looked like in the SmackDown segment. Yeah, because Sasha and Bailey were running down everybody, and they they made fun of Lacey, and Lacey was the only one that got called out. I mean, they made fun of Carmella and basically called her shit in the ring. They made fun of the, the moonwalk, probably. Yeah. yeah, they 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 made fun of Nikki Cross, who they said didn't deserve to be on the team. They said Dana Brooke couldn't flex her way out of a paper bag. They ran down Lacey Evans, so Lacey was the only one that came out, and Lacey ran him down and called him a bunch of nasties, and then punched ba- uh, Sasha in her face. And Pam sat there and looked unsettled. And, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, so where Aunt Pam is going to face Lacey Evans probably at TLC, and that that's a choice. Well, that's a choice after luck. the Lacey Evans Becky matches. Well, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, good luck to Bailey on that one. My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know what? And Lacey really has the perfect kind of background to be a really good baby face. She does exactly. The military background, the mom, and all that stuff. I think she she could be a really top notch baby face, but. I don't know, man. She could. She, if you watch, they, they have a, a day of special on the network about the Saudi show and her and Natalia getting to wrestle. Lacey Evans comes off as the biggest baby face in the world. Because she's talking about how she's like, yeah, we heard it might happen and I wasn't sure. Then they said it might be me, but they weren't sure. And she's like, and then they announced it was real and I had to pack to go and I got to tell my daughter about what I was going to do. And she's like, and my little girl looked at me and said, Mommy, you're going to change the world. And I'm oh. like, oh, my God. I'm like, it's like fucking adorable, right? Yeah. I'm like, she's yeah. the biggest goddamn baby face. And she's like, and then Lacey's like, you know, I got to, I got to serve my country. And she goes, and then I got the, you know, the biggest thing ever in my life. I got to be a mother. She goes, I get to be a wife and, you know, I have a great husband. And she's like, and now I get to, I get to perform in front of people and entertain everybody. And she's like, and I have no complaints in life. And the fact that I get to do this and might make a difference, she get, it might be the most important thing I ever do. And listen, I bag on the Saudi shows and, and on some level it was a big propaganda bullshit thing. But it actually, it meant a lot to Lacey Evans and Natalia. And like I said, she came off as the biggest baby face in the world. And all I can think of was like, again, like I thought when they signed her and I knew about all the background stuff for her, it's like, she could be such a big baby face star if they put in even an iota of effort. Yeah. And uh, just, and hearing her talk too, just like, she's extremely well-spoken and emotional and passionate and just... Yeah, I mean, they could do a lot worse. I mean, I don't know how good the match will be because, I mean, again, she did not have very good yeah, matches Lacey with hasn't... Becky. The thing you kind of worry about with Lacey is, uh, you know, it's tough to overcome a bad first impression. Yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of people are going to remember those Becky matches and be like, eh, uh. so, yeah, Check the team with Corbin? Uh, uh. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> God, so, and... That, uh, yeah, Corbin. That, and they're now they're giving that guy the first forty minutes of SmackDown every week. Jeez. Uh, well, at least, at least the, he didn't bring out the furry with him this week. <laughs> I will say that Corbin and Rude and Ziggler make a great heel trio, and that I don't really care to see any of them do anything. Uh, I could deal with not seeing them ever again. Mm-hmm. There's a time when I found some use for Rude long time ago okay i find rude the most tolerable <laughs> out of all three of them just because he's bobby rude and he just goes out there and wrestles for the most part and then you got dolph ziggler out there with his little fox hat on and <laughs> just being generally annoying in the worst way possible i still love when that dude goes on the internet and he's like everybody hates me because i've been stealing the show for 14 years and i'm like you know what makes me sad when i read that it's not that he's a delusional douchebag that always posts in character. It's the fact that we only got like four years of Mr. Perfect and we've had 14 years of this asshole. So, you know, when you think about that kind of thing sometimes, when you think of how long we've been sitting through like Ziegler, for instance, and we've been sitting through Randy Orton longer than we, we sat through Talpa Bob at this point. 
Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's... Man, oh, we're getting the, old, man. The best thing about Raw that I laughed so hard on was they did this four-way to um, determine a number one contender for the U.S. title. And it was uh, it was Ricochet, Rey Mysterio, Drew McIntyre, and Randy Orton, right? So there's one point in the match where it, it breaks down to Orton and McIntyre. And McIntyre fucking lights him up with a chop. <laughs> like a fucking thunderous chop. Mm. And Orton winces and he already has a bruise on his chest. And he's just like, oh my God, never <laughs> again. So then he decides to chop Drew back. Mm. And like Drew lays like a fucking Thunder Thor clap on him. And Randy chops him and it's like. Uh, like, like when Shawn Michaels like, chops him. Like you barely even hit it. Like heard it. And like. Drew was like, is that all you got, Randy? You've had 93 titles and I haven't had a shot yet. And he fucking lights him up again. (laughs) And you can just see in Randy's mind, like, I'm going right back to Gorilla and telling Vince I'm never getting in the ring with this fucker. Yeah, I'm not working that guy again. (laughs) No, sir. As Don Callis would say, that was a quit the business chop, kid. (laughs) But it was hilarious because... Randy goes out there and Randy kind of doesn't give a fuck most times. And he does the Randy Orton match and he does what he does. And then Drew's like, I'm here to fight motherfucker here. Have a chop. And Randy's like, Nope. Drew's like, I've been trying to carry Baron Corbin for the past six months. Now it's time for me to fucking do something. I know it was, <laughs> it was funny. I laughed, but, uh, so anyway, Steve Cook, the, uh, the state of women's wrestling in 2019, as we go into 2020, are we, are we still in a good place? Are we still, is it going to get better or is it being pushed? Are they, are they harping women's revolution too hard still? What, what, what are you thinking? Um, I think we're, we're obviously a better place than we've been in a very long time. I mean, we've talked about a lot of the great women's wrestlers on this show and they're all doing fantastic work for the most part. But like, uh, like we talked about those WrestleMania main event, the survivor series main events where it just seems like there might be, be a ceiling for that kind of thing and uh may that sounds i'm sure people say it sounds sexist or whatever but uh and maybe better once we get uh, some other people in that role maybe once we get uh, rhea ripley or somebody else in that spot it'll be better off because for whatever reason i mean becky and them just aren't really translating to that role the role of being uh the top dog if you will the big dog yeah uh, i mean and i think that's fair i also think that like Two, you're, you're you're making a you continue to make a mistake with these overly long shows, because it's not just the women that have kind of faltered in that spot. I mean, we've seen long shows when the men go out there and Seth Rollins and the fucking fiend have laid an egg. Oh god, yeah, and, yeah, that's true. Seth Rollins may events always fucking fail too. So, so again, it's yeah. not just that we're saying it's the women, but I mean, you you have to book to your strengths and you have to. You have to also give performers a chance, and I'm sorry, man. I mean, Christ Almighty could come down and get a shit reaction after a seven-hour pay-per-view. <laughs> you know? I mean, it could be yeah, Easter well, Sunday. Yeah. He, he could roll the rock out and remove, come back straight from the dead and into the ring with no entrance. And they'd be like, him. this fucker. Yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? Another bearded asshole in wrestling. Wearing dish rags down the ring. What the hell? Get some gear, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing so, the goddamn sandals. What the hell? Yeah, like like Christopher Daniels, first day in wrestling school. Oh, shit. Man. Yeah, terrible. 
But yeah, it's just, uh, I, I think you also have to put Talon in a position to succeed. And I, I will say again, too, that that match layout at Survivor Series was shit. Two, and they're, they're both fucking three-way matches, too, which plays into it. And the, uh, another thing to kind of help defend the women, it came after a night of how many triple threats? Uh-huh. It was all triple threats and all Survivor Series matches. Yeah, with the exception of, uh, like, you had the Battle Royal, and then you had uh, Pete Dunne and Adam Cole and Brock and Ray, but everything else was just, like, clustery matches. And it's like You know how many match types they've killed off from me over the past month? Oh, I, I said at the end like of the Like, how Survivor many damn series, layer matches do we have on NXT last, the past yeah. four weeks? Yeah, diminishing returns, man. Like I said, it's like, uh, I never want to see another triple threat match for, like, the longest time. And I know I'm still going to see him, but, like, Survivor oh, yeah. Series, I was like... And don't get me wrong, I thought Survivor Series was an overall good show. But it still didn't mean I want to see a triple threat the next night. And I don't want to see it anymore. Now, do you think, uh, I mean, do you think that... Uh... Well, I guess Becky's is probably still a top star right now as far as all the women go. Do you think that uh, Tess ends up being the one that passes her overall? Depending on where she signs and how it goes and how she gets pushed and all that? I definitely think Tess has the potential because Tessa has turned into not only a great wrestler, she's gotten better character-wise. She has a great look. She has everything it takes to do that. It just obviously depends on where she ends up, what kind of push she gets. I mean, she'll deliver in whatever role she gets, but whether she's given that chance to be the ace, to be the top star, is kind of yet to be determined. And no no offense to Impact Wrestling, I think for her to surpass a Becky Lynch, she's going to have to leave Impact. Yeah, pretty much. And again, I'm, I'm not saying AEW is going to be the answer either, because nothing that has been done with their women's division so far leads me to to believe that'll be the case. Now, yeah, again, yeah. maybe it's because they need an ace and they need to build around one, and then they would change. They have but, a lot of good talent, and they don't have that ace. Yeah, but they haven't shown me anything booking-wise that makes me feel like they could do it. Obviously, we know that when WWE wants to, they can heat anybody up and make anybody a star anytime they want to. They obviously rehabbed Bailey after booking her into oblivion. They they they've done a good job in rehabbing Oscar after they totally fucked her up. But I mean, you know, they they they've shown that they can do it. Do they keep their level of interest in Rhea Ripley? Uh God, I would hope so because I think that like at some point you're gonna have to move away from just Sasha, Becky, and uh, Bailey. Yep. Uh, Can't and be horsewoman like forever. Yeah, it can't just be them. You have to introduce somebody like a, a Shayna for however much longer you have her, because you know, keep in mind Shayna is thirty nine. Uh, you have to invest in new, newer talents and younger talents, like a Rhea Ripley, like like a Bianca Belair, who's an athletic freak and has a ton of potential. I think at some point Io Shirai, you have to give her a chance because she's so insanely talented. So yeah, you can't just rely on the horsewomen. Um, I understand why they are because they have largely delivered and they have a history and a great backstory. But again, I mean, you get into situations now where, again, like we talked about, we're looking at like Bailey versus Lacey Evans. And again, from everything I can tell, Lacey Evans seems like a wonderful woman. But that first feud with Becky Lynch did nothing but hurt her. You can make the argument that not only was she brought up too soon, but she was given too much too soon. And it hurt her badly. And they're going to have to do a lot of work to fix that. 
Now, do we know anything about Rhonda's status? Is Rhonda going to be coming back? Because, I mean, you, you mentioned the whole Survivor Series thing, where it might have been pretty cool if uh, if they had, they were kind of teasing it, and maybe if she had come back, that could have made things a lot more interesting there. But uh, that didn't happen, and it wasn't mentioned uh, any time after that in Chicago. I have absolutely no clue. I have no insider news on that. I keep hearing... Rumors that it's possible, rumors that they've talked, but I think it also all comes down to if she ends up having a baby. Yeah. Which would obviously slow things up. But, I mean, if she's not pregnant anytime soon, and if... I mean, obviously the money's going to be right because they have the money. They got the money. Yeah, that's not a problem. Yeah, I mean, they can... I'm sure if they feel they need Rhonda and she's open to it and hasn't gotten pregnant and they're like, hey, listen, we're... We'd like for you to come in for the Rumble through Mania, and we'll throw you a million bucks or whatever, and whatever it is, you know, whatever the number's going to be. I mean, maybe she goes, you know what? I mean, yeah, I'll come back. It's three months. I'll make some money, and then I'll go back home to my farm and Doomsday Prep and have a baby. <laughs> kind of like what Brock does, except for the part where he, I don't think Brock has babies himself. No, but I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Brock has some doomsday facility at his place, though, so he can be the last man alive. Oh, well, I don't think he doesn't need any help there. He, Brock is going to be the last person alive and certainly the last person getting paid by wrestling company. <laughs> so, I mean, I wouldn't rule out a Ronda return. I just I don't know anything. I've, I haven't heard any like hard rumor on it either. There's just constantly been the low level rumors that. If she's not pregnant and if the offer and time frame is right and it's not overly long, that she would probably consider it. And how many times they told us there's going to be a horsewoman versus horsewoman feared? And uh, I never see that happening, largely because, well, I mean, Rhonda's tough to get a hold of. And also because the, the other two horsewomen there, they're not, they, they're not going to fit in that kind of match. That's just not going to happen. Unfortunately not. I mean, they're obviously working hard. They're working at all the live events. Whenever I see them, there are small signs of improvement, but putting Marina Shafir and Jessamine Duke in a match with Ronda, who exceeded expectations greatly, Shayna, who's become a really good worker, and then the pretty much your 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 little Mount Rushmore WWE women's wrestlers over the past five years and the four horsewomen, they would stick out so badly. Be like Hulk Hogan team with Coco Beware. Yeah, I mean, much love to Coco and all. There's a great, there's a great clip online of him facing a, a jobber, I think in mid south, and he just murders this dude with a brainbuster. <laughs> it's like a shoot brainbuster, dude. It's like the most amazing thing in the world. Uh, you but, know, that's still one of my still one of my pet peeves is that damn Powell Driver music video. It's a damn brainbuster he's doing. It's not Powell Driver. I know. Pissed me off. Although I did love it when he called it the Ghostbuster. Yeah, yeah. Pretty solid. So, But yeah, I agree. We're, we're definitely in a better place. I mean, you, you know, Shimmer's still going. You have, you know, it's not great, but like Shine still runs shows. So that's a place for women to work. There's, Stardom's got that New Japan help now, right? Yes. Yeah, so, well, I mean, yep. not just help. I mean, Bushi Road owns it now. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, Stardom is going to get a, um, they're actually getting a TV slot. It's like, it's going to be like a 30 minute, like main recap style show, but they're getting a TV slot. They're going to have Bushy Road promoting them. Uh, And also in the Observer this week, they, uh, as far as the restructuring goes, you have some more of the Bushy Road people 
heading over to handle the business aspect because they have big business plans. And it was announced that Milano Collection AT is now going to be the head trainer at Stardom. Wow. So, I mean, that's a dude that if you ever see Chris Hero or Cassie Sono tweeting about Milano and what he meant to wrestling and so many wrestlers and just how much of an influence he was on a certain generation, that's a huge get for him to be a trainer there because obviously the stardom system is very different than U.S. training because they will start training girls under the age of 18 to bring them up to be stars so that when they're 18, they already have experience and stuff like that. But you're to bring in someone like Milano to be a trainer, I think is great. Um, You know, he does commentary for New Japan on the Japanese side as well. So he's, you know, um, keeping within that company. I was wondering who and if they were going to bring someone from New Japan over to start as a trainer. I was wondering if Liger might have transitioned since he's retiring or someone like uh, Nagata, who does a lot of work with the dojo. Um, I think Milano is a good call, though. I think that's really smart. And uh, it'll be interesting to see who else they kind of send over there to work, because I can definitely see like Liger and Nagata and guys like that popping in and helping out on occasion like they do at the dojo. Yeah, uh, I, I, I wonder what do you suppose Liger's going to do once he uh, retires. Liger keeps joking that he's going to keep sleeping at the dojo and hanging out. Hmm. Might they give? Well, he then he used to be a booker there for there. Uh, I think. I mean, he. I I could see him doing something like that. I could see him doing some work with the Stardom. I, I I'm certain he's going to do like big convention appearances from time to time. Um, I I know he he said he wants to be done and he wants to not wrestle because he doesn't want to become. He doesn't want to want to become like a total farce and a parody of himself. I could think, yeah, I think a couple names there. I don't want to be mean. Yeah. And the thing with Liger is like, there's this narrative, weird narrative now online that Liger hasn't been good since 2004. And here's the thing. It's like, first of all, he hasn't really had to be. He has reduced his role greatly over the years. He worked tag teams with Tiger Mask a lot. He works undercard tags with all the young lions all the time, which is great for those guys and they're learning. And then the other thing was he's still enough of a legend that they could occasionally heat him up for a title shot. Yep. And every time they did, he delivered. He had an excellent match a couple years ago with Kushida. He had a great match with Ishimori this year. And the thing is, he had a great match with Suzuki when they feuded. The thing is, is he's still enough of Liger when he needs to be. So, yeah, obviously he's not putting on fucking bangers three times a week because he's in his 50s, but the dude's in great shape. He can be great when he needs to be, and don't say he's not good because he's good and he constantly has good undercard tags all the time. And quite honestly, when the guy goes, I'm going to be really upset for the simple fact that Liger and like Muda, first Muda were like my gateways into, into new, like Japan stuff. Muda, when he came over for the NWA stuff, really first got me interested. Liger then followed, and Liger is the guy that got me into the tape trading. Liger versus Pillman, man. So it's just like, Liger has been part of my fandom for so long. And as I get older, I keep seeing more people leave. Like, I watched Flair leave. I watched Shawn Michaels leave. And it's like, you know, Steve Austin's done. Someone's left a couple times, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, 
I keep seeing people like that leave and it's like they've been around for so long and it's like, Christ, that's like so depressing. But like, I'm also happy that he's going out on his own terms. He, he did like a little world tour. He's been working a bunch of places. He's done like Michinoku Pro shows, worked in the UK. He's just been kind of traveling around doing everything. And for the most part, he's fucking putting people over all the time. Because that's good business. That's smart business. He, so, knows, he knows what the deal is. I know. So it's really cool to see. But yeah, it's a, I'm kind of excited for stardom in 2020 to see. It'd be interesting. I, I hope Bushy Road can really build them up. Because I, I definitely think that they have the business acumen too. Because they did it with New Japan. Because they, you know, they came in and took over. And New Japan was at a low. And yeah, then, you can't forget how low they were at one point. Yeah, and like, you know, so they Gato and Jado get the book. Tanahashi becomes the biggest star in Japan and the ace. And then it it grew and it grew and it grew and became a big deal. And then they're, they're making money and everything went so well. So I'm really excited because it seems like they have a really good game plan for stardom. And it it's not one of those, we're, we're buying stardom to take the eight top stars and put them on our roster bullshit. You mean like, uh, like if they do eat bottom? Yeah. Yeah. Because again, WWE wanted NXT them for Japan. NXT Japan. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I'm excited in that it's still going to get to go. And there's, there's a lot of possible stars in stardom, you know, like over the last year, Hannah Kimura has really risen to ranks. Uh, and there's just a lot of good stuff there. And you look at people that have come from out of stardom in that system. You've seen some of them. Yeah, I mean, but like, and just not like the Japanese talent, but like people that have worked there a lot, like, you know, uh, Kelly Klein did some time in there for ROH, which unfortunately ROH oh, yeah. botched that relationship horribly. Uh, but like that, uh, that poor girl. Piper uh. Niven and Tony Storm have worked there at various times. And just a lot of people have gone in and out of there. And then, Andy Leon? Sure. Josie Perrozo. <laughs> yeah. Scarlett Bordeaux was over there, wasn't she? Yeah, she she was, and she was horrible there and almost killed someone, so. <laughs> Seriously. The, uh, the, the, the only thing that, like, people, the reason people forget about her almost killing somebody is because B. Priestley almost killed Mayu Iwatani. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean. But that's kind of regular for B. Priestley to almost kill somebody. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think women's wrestling is obviously a much better place. I think it could be in an even better place if it was treated right everywhere. And, um, hopefully 2020 sees a continued improvement in that because again, Steve, we've talked about that for the longest time and how we used to get made fun of when we talked about impact and how uh-huh. Gail Kim and awesome Kong could main event a show. And we were called silly. Yeah. Women can't main event. It's a niche thing. It only happens because Shimmer. You guys watch too much Shimmer. <laughs> and meanwhile, Gail Kim and Awesome Kong was like the best feud for a year in TNA. Yep. And never got a chance to main event, even though they should have been main eventing or yeah. what the, whatever the hell. So I don't even remember what the hell they were doing at that point. So it's just the fact that, I mean, it can work. And unfortunately, WWE is, they're trying in, in one way, but they're also going about it the wrong way and yeah. positioning them poorly. So... Hopefully people learn from their lessons. Uh, hopefully impact again. They have some good stuff going on with the knockouts. Hopefully that keeps growing. The Tessa thing could be very fascinating this year to see if they actually go all in on Tessa. 
Um, WWE, again, we talked about the NXT, the top of the NXT women. They have so much talent there. And then again, I mean, there's talent in the NXT women's division we're not even talking about because they're not even on TV. Karen right. Q's out injured. Deanna Peraz is not on TV. Chelsea Green's not on TV. There's so many women in that division behind all the women that are really good on TV right now. So it's like the cupboards are stocked, man. It's like fucking Sam's Club down in Orlando. <laughs> it really is. I mean, and it just seems it's, it's just tough to get them all out there. Just tough to get everything on the shelf. Because so, I guess some of the stuff up front doesn't sell or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. And then, of course, you, I mean, Jesus, I keep, we have NXT UK. You got Tenny Storm over there. You got Piper Niven. You have Kaylee Ray. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, and there's more, but there's just, there's a ton of women in the system. No reason it shouldn't be good. And that's, that's why I, kept, I pushed when I, they said and NXT was going to two hours and they were losing that one hour of weekly original content. I think they should have found a way to find a small place to tape and do an NXB show similar to kind of like Derby City Wrestling for OVW back in the day because you have all these people that aren't on TV, but you could put them in a small 200-seat venue, tape it, run it on the network so that you have them learning how to work on TV so that when it's time for whoever's not on, I mean, you have so many damn people down there, whenever it's time to bring someone up, to the USA Network, they will have, quote-unquote, some TV experience. They'll know where the fucking hard camera is. They'll know their entrance. So why hasn't that happened yet? Is it just uh, their obsession with uh, making NXT a main brand? Is that the deal? Because we know it's kind of transitioned from being a developmental territory to being uh, a super indie. Um, it's it's not only transitioned, it is Steve Cook. Look at TakeOver. There was not one yeah. homemade NXT star on that show. I think Bianca Belair was like the only one that had been, you know, starred out there. Yeah, I mean, okay, Bianca, that's like it. I that, that was it. Yeah, I mean, so it's like, and I'm not using that as a criticism. It's just, it is what it's turned into. I honestly, part of me thinks they're waiting to eventually just absorb and buy Evolve on the cheap and run quote-unquote evolve shows on the network as the nxt like sub brand and why hasn't that happened yet either i mean it <laughs> where are really they holding should. out for <laughs> it really should so where are they holding out for i mean i mean south can't be making that much of them yeah no offense i mean it's a fine product from what i'm saying but i can't they can be making that much money off it i'm surprised it hasn't especially with gabe already working for the company yeah but uh, Stephen Cook, that's gonna—I think that's gonna wrap us up for today. Uh, and then you did some columns on the site. What did you write this week on the site? Throw it. There on was there. a lot of lot of stuff there. The uh, I think the my personal favorite favorite was the top sub in uh, wrestling related foods. That was pretty good. Very good. I assume ice cream bars were on there. The ice cream bars are on there for sure. Yes, I mean among other things like the like the Slim Jim, of course. Kind of Slim Jim and Macho Man, right? Fair enough. And then also making the list a fairly new item, but uh, we know it's been taken the world by storm, the little bit of the bubbly. Awesome. I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, so a lot of good stuff there on the list. Oh, and I also got to mention uh, Tracy Brooks cookies. Hey, how can you not which, mention Tracy Which Brooks I still think cookies. TNA missed the boat on that one. I mean, they missed the boat on Tracy a lot of ways, but, uh, you know, when the whole cookie gate thing broke, they should have done something with that. Yeah, they should have sold some cookies off of that. That's what I'm saying. Sold, sell some damn cookies. She's probably got some good recipes, right? Uh, you would think so, but I mean, yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, it would have been nice if they would have done something with that, but. So, anything else you threw out this week you want the listeners there to There was read? a botched column, of course, Could and uh, 
And I'll plug my thing over on the chairshot.com too, where I listed the top ten wrestlers I was thankful for thankful for in twenty nineteen. Fair enough. So check that one out as well. Steve putting in the work this week. Much appreciated. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And uh it's a good time as always. Yep, thank you for joining me, and uh, we are going to start moving on to the next part of the show. Have a good day, Steve. Alrighty, welcome back to the next segment of our show. Uh, What we're doing here, again, is uh, we're kind of cobbling together a few different segments, talking about a wide variety of stuff. And at this time, I'd like to uh, welcome back someone that's been on the show before, who helped out and did a bunch of WrestleMania weekend reviews with Ryan Rosansky. Um, a former 411 writer, a good friend of mine, Jerome Keyson. Jerome, how are you tonight, sir? I am doing so wonderful because I don't have to write a raw recap every week. So every Monday I don't have to do that. I, I thank the the stars and the makers for aligning to make that happen because oof. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, I didn't find Raw to be too bad tonight. I actually did not hate the show, um, so that was nice. Yeah, there are just there are weeks though where it's just um like it's an hour and a half in, and I'm like, really, that's it. And I just just the idea of sitting down and watching Raw for three hours every week kind of gives me it, it like it would give me a nervous twitch just doing that. So, uh, you know, but you you know this is part of your job, so I get it. And I understand the people who do have to cover this for their job, but man, like the idea of a, of me sitting down as just a fan and watching Raw for three hours every week just does not sound fun. Uh, I mean, yeah, honestly, if I did not have to cover Raw, I likely w- wouldn't watch most weeks. Uh, I would find something else to watch, uh, you know, watch Monday Night Football or something, just something else. But yeah, it's... um. It is what it is, but uh, Jerome, we're going to talk about Ring of Honor today, you and I, and um, to, to kind of give people some background, I mean, you used to write for the site, you used to cover a lot of independent wrestling, you used to be, uh, I think it would say it's a pretty big ROH fan, kind of detail some of your fandom with Ring of Honor over the years. And I became a Ring of Honor fan in the spring of 2006, and I can tell you, my very first show, because it is generally regarded as one of the greatest Ring of Honor shows of all time in what was one of the biggest weekends in the history of Ring of Honor. I was at Better Than Our Best 2006. That was my first show. And that was not the show with the Dragon Gate Six-Man. That actually took place the night before. But I was in the in the midst of 1,800 wrestling fans, and it's it was just a, a blow-away show in almost every conceivable way. Uh, the main reason that I wanted to attend that show was because Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, and Christopher Daniels uh, were wrestling on that show. So that was kind of my gateway in. But getting to see Brian Danielson against Lance Storm was really cool at the time. Homicide and Cole Cabana had just a, a ridiculous brawl because it's one of the rare instances where there was a there was a chair riot, so to speak. I know that's something that ECW gets stereotyped for, but it, it did happen in Ring of Honor twice during the Ring of Honor CCW feud. Uh, there was also just a, a, an incredible tag team match between Dragon Gate and Austin Aries and Roderick Strong. And if, if, that is, if that show doesn't suck you in, then, then nothing will. I mean, it's just one of those shows that I think if it took place today, it would be regarded as being too long and too much going on on one show. But I think in 2006 terms, when it, it was pretty much a wasteland of wrestling at that point, and there wasn't the glut that currently exists, 
I mean, at that time, I mean, it was it was manna from heaven, I think. Um, but obviously, <laughs> things have things have changed in the last 13 years. I became a fan of Ring of Honor when it was at its peak, when DVD sales were probably at the top. And I think it maintained that level for a good two and a half years. And then kind of the housing market crashed and DVD sales crashed. And I think Ring of Honor, it's just been a slow descent over the last 11 years. And I think this descent has kind of been punctuated over the last few months with everything that's gone on with Matt Taven. And when I say descent, I'm more talking about a creative descent because I think there have there there are clearly times when Ring of Honor has has had tremendous success when getting on television and the fact that they were drawing so well for such a long time. I mean, they literally ran Madison Square Garden and drew their biggest house. And admittedly, New Japan had a huge part in that, but they drew fifteen thousand people just eight or nine months ago, and now they can't draw four hundred people, and they may not even sell five hundred tickets to final final battle. And it's it's sad. It's really depressing. But honestly, based on the creative direction, I can't say I'm surprised. You talk about that really hot period for ROH, and they were running really hot. And then there was, while the product was still really good, there was a, a start and decline in the rate in the um the overall attendance and kind of buzz. And I think that got turned around with the new Japan deal. And especially when you had AJ Styles and the young bucks working shows, because you can go back and track the rise of ROH attendance to that time period. And that was a really big boost for the company. Um, new Japan was becoming really hot at that time. So they kind of helped each other out in a lot of ways. And then ROH was just, they were on this really good rise. They were drawing a lot of really good talents. They were seemingly building up. Just they felt like they had a lot of stars. But also at the same time, you were still getting great matches. Maybe not back in the day matches to where every other weekend when there was an ROH show, you constantly heard on the message boards that, you have to get this DVD. Danielson had a match of the year. You have to get this DVD. They ran this awesome angle. But there was still a buzz going on. And it started to fade a little bit as things were coming to a close in 2018. And I think everybody knew 2019 was going to be a challenge. Because, let's be honest, you lost access to Kenny Omega because he was no longer with New Japan. You lost Cody Rhodes, love him or hate him, he was making a difference with attendance. You lost Adam Page, who they were investing in heavily as building as a future star. You lost SCU, who, while weren't quote-unquote main event stars, they were a constant on that card and always delivered. You lost the Young Bucks. So you lose all that talent. You have to restock the cupboards. And I will say to their credit, they went out there. They brought in Roosh. They got Dragon Lee for dates. They brought in Bandito, Brody King. Um, PCO, they still had Marty Skrull. So it wasn't like the cupboards were bare. We still had talent there. But again, it doesn't matter if you have the best talent in the world or the most loaded and hugest roster in the world like WWE if they're not booked effectively and made into stars. So 2019, I think, started off a little slow. They did have the big Madison Square Garden show. But that is, I think, where we have to go back to. 
because that's a big turning point for that company because I think we can safely say everyone pretty much agrees that was a tale of two shows. Whereas the New Japan portion was regarded as a great show and giving us, you know, a New Japan vibe in the U.S. in the garden, which people thought was impossible. While you look at the pre-show Battle Royal and the Ring of Honor guys got no reaction. You had Bully Ray involved in a garbage brawl. You had the Allure debut and Kelly Klein win the title back. And then you just had just a dearth of stuff that wasn't really good in terms of the straight ROH card, culminating with Matt Taven winning the world championship. A a true, just incredible moment if I've ever seen one. And I would like to think that I could go back to the podcast that Ryan and I did and I think I, I would like to think that I actually said that at the time. And I think Ring of Honor can certainly be broken up into these different chapters. And I think there are different logical endpoints. And oh, I think a logical endpoint for Ring of Honor is that Madison Square Garden show because it was the climax of everything that had been building for a number of years. The fact that they had the Young Bucks, they had Cody Rhodes. They had AJ Styles, all kind of entrenched in their company at various points. So many of the New Japan talents were making regular appearances. I mean, Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, these are legendary names in the world of wrestling now. And they were making regular appearances for Ring of Honor. And I don't think that people, I think people years from now, they're going to look at that. and They're going to think, what the hell happened? How did this company have all these major talents and yet Matt Taven was their world champion by the time they ran the freaking Madison Square Garden. So I, I think that was a real a real touchstone moment because I think it was at that point that a lot of people realized that Ring of Honor as, as a creative entity has nothing in the tank. Even if they have certain talents, even if they have certain wrestlers that are very solid, that show, if you look at the Ring of Honor portion, it was bad. I mean, and it wasn't just bad. It was offensively bad. That ladder match was was just inexplicable in its execution because it went far too long. And you ended up with a world champion in Matt Taven who is not over. I don't care what anyone says. There is no one. The, the evidence is in, right in front of you. Matt Taven wins the title. Attendance drops like a rock. There is nothing you can do to convince me that Matt Taven is actually a draw. And there's clear evidence that he is actively hurt that company and there was also the Enzo Amore a big cast incident as well that took away from a pretty significant moment in the New Japan portion of the show and not only did the fans realize that Ring of Honor was as a creative entity was dead but it's really obvious that New Japan saw that show saw the Ring of Honor portion and said we gotta bounce we gotta disassociate ourselves and start running shows on our own and even if they don't end up in a relationship with AEW, which I'm, I'm still convinced that it's going to happen at some point, even though I know things are not good right now. I'm still convinced it's going to happen at some point. But New Japan has decided we are better off running on our own than even trying to run with these fools again because it's it's not working. The the Ring of Honor show, the 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 Matt Taven stuff, the Enzo stuff. This is taking away from our big moments in the Garden, and I think it really showed. You spoke about the attendance drop, and this is all factual information. There's actually a great article over on Voices of Wrestling that details a lot of stuff we're talking about and are going to talk about. 
ROH attendance last year was averaging over 1,200 a show. That's very respectable. This year, including the Madison Square Garden show, which, depending on which numbers you use, is fifteen to 16,000 people, which they're taking credit for, obviously, because their name was part of the marquee. They're now averaging in 2019 roughly 500. I mean, that's a really bad number. I, did they extrapolate what happens when you take out that 15,000 number? What, how, does, how badly does the number go down? It might have. I don't have the article pulled up. But, I mean, it's a, I, again, I suggest you go to Voices Wrestling and check it out. It's a very well done article. They, those guys do a very good job. And um, it just it really breaks it down. And conversely, New Japan has run several U.S. shows this year. Haven't been running huge venues, but they've been running solid venues. And in their limited shows, they're averaging 1,200. It's funny how that works. How New Japan is running the average of what Ring of Honor was running. And, you know, it, if, it still feels like New Japan is, is kind of a third banana in the States now to both WWE and AEW. But it's, it's obvious that they, they do have a presence in this country that has no other foreign wrestling company has ever really had. The, the level of presence that New Japan has. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that if they if they were to run a major venue in Tampa, Florida next year, my guess is that they could still draw a solid five to 8,000 people depending on the venue. I, I don't think that's financially probably not the best idea to bring their full crew, and it's not like there's any venue in Tampa that is as special as Madison Square Garden, but it's really obvious that New Japan has a solid presence here. And, and Ring of Honor just does not. I mean, I see some of the pictures from the UK shows, and it's like, what the hell happened? I mean, there was a time when Ring of Honor, before the boom, before they, they had AJ Styles, I mean, they did one of their biggest shows in 2006. They drew like 2,400 people for a Brian Danielson-Nigel McGuinness match. Yeah, uh, the UK shows were really sad-looking. Um the one show, I think it was the, the Scotland show or Wales show, I can't remember which it was, but the one show was the middle show, drew like, I think it was like 150 people. And Oof. it was one of the deadest crowds I've seen all year. And one of the big excuses I got from people that were at the venue that tried to defend, because I gave the show a bad review because it wasn't a good show either, was that, well, we didn't know it was like an honor club show. Maybe we would have made more noise. I'm like, dude, they put everything on honor club. Don't tell me you didn't know. If you're buying an ROH ticket in 2019, pretty sure you know what Honor Club is and probably have a subscription to it. So it's like, don't, don't make that excuse. It was it was sad. I, I, I And like, I made a comparison to the dying days of the a, AWA because it just felt really sad despite the fact that there is talent there. There are some people still working really hard. But, I mean, if you have, like, 150 people that don't care, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, they're, they're running these – some of these buildings they're running, it's, um, it's just night and day to where they used to. They did a bad crowd in Chicago this year. And someone tried to tell me that, well, Chicago, maybe Chicago's burnt out. And you can't tell me that when MLW is routinely going in there and drawing 2,000. Yeah, and, I mean, I believe they sold out every show this, this past week. When they ran, when they ran in Allstate Arena four nights in a row, and my guess is that AEW in, at the Sears Center is going to come very close to selling out. So that that is not a legitimate excuse. Chicago is one of <laughs> Ring of Honor's best venues. I mean, they were drawing routinely 
1,800 people to some of those shows. And even when Ring of Honor was not at its hottest, Chicago was still generally the, 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 one, of the better, one of the better places where they ran, and they were still doing consistently 1,000 people. And I know they moved to the Odium, and they were doing 2,500 people. So it's really obvious that that person is just factually incorrect because Ring of, Chicago loves wrestling. I mean, the fact that so many of these companies are running and the fact that AEW has a yearly show, I mean, that just shows you how hot it is. But the difference is, is that AEW has stars, a lot of stars that were in Ring of Honor, and Ring of Honor has Bully Ray. Yeah, so going back to the Madison Square Garden thing, like, we talked about the booking and everything, and I have been all over the Lizard Man for what seems like years now. Just no vision. I wrote an article on the fact that he allowed the elite to basically do whatever they wanted and book their own storylines. And to their credit, though, those guys always delivered. But the problem with that was is they were never making any stars underneath of them. You get the Madison Square Garden, and then the rumblings are around that Bully Ray has come into some power. He has some booking control now. He's part of the team, I guess. And, you know, again, that's another problem because you get some of these horrible, dated, bad versions of ECW angles. You get Bully Ray showing up, and his big thing is he picks a random baby face like Mark Haskins now, beats the fuck out of him for months, and now they're going to have a match. And it's like, well, you know, Mark Haskins is pretty fucking great, but I'm not sure what he's going to drag out of Bully Ray in 2019, nor do I really want to see that. What is Mark Haskins thinking with everything that, with everything that goes on with NXT UK and AEW? I just I want to know what's going through his mind, knowing that he is that he signed a contract with Ring of Honor, which seemed like the right move at the time. But man, I mean, he's just got to be he's just got to be so frustrated by by his own situation and the fact that it's it's bad enough that he's in Ring of Honor, but he's feuding with Bully Ray. It's not like he's even in the main event fighting for the Ring of Honor title. He's just in a mid-card feud. Well, and the thing is, too, is like, yeah, it did seem like the right deal because he impressed on the 2018 UK tour, had some really good and a great match with Jay Lethal, good matches in the tournament, great match with Jay Lethal in the final thing. And he impressed and he got a contract. So that was awesome for him. The biggest problem for him is that he's been one of the more consistent performers all year long, but he's been stuck in this lifeblood stable which has been dead in the water because David Finley got hurt, Tennille Dashwood's contract expired and she left, and then Juice Robinson basically said, fuck off, I'm not coming back because you're not paying me properly and treating me well. Which all makes sense. I mean, that's the, these are, these are, you have just nailed the Ring of Honor problems in a nutshell because, as you mentioned, people are leaving because their contracts are running out, and we, we will address the women at some point, oh, yeah. I'm sure, because – a whole new perspective has probably been gained on that, on that uh, Dash story that you mentioned. But, you know, I know the other thing is that Mark Haskins has a history of injuries. So I, I'm sure it was a big deal for him to get a contract from anyone and to get that guaranteed payday. And I, I'm very sympathetic to that, but I'm really hopeful that he can get uh, a lifeboat away. Not lifeblood, lifeboat. Yeah, so, I mean... So you had that going on. And again, like, and I talked about new talents. I left off Mark Haskins. They brought in Tracy Williams. He's been really good all year. But again, him and Haskins and Bandito, for the most part, have just been 
kind of dead in the water because of the way lifeblood imploded with, you know, the others gone. It's like they had no idea what to do with these guys except for constantly feeding them with villain enterprises. And then every time it felt like they were getting a foothold and were going to win the six-man titles, PCO got hurt or Brody King got hurt, and then they had to cancel the match. So those guys are dead in the water. But going back to Madison Square Garden, they put the world title on Matt Taven, and as you said, a just incredible moment. Matt Taven wins the title, and the big excuse at the time was, well, Marty's contract is going to run out this year, and he's probably not going to stay. Fast forward from April to November, and what have we learned? We learned that Matt Taven's contract was up almost at the same time as Marty Skrull's. He ended up re-signing, but they took the title off him anyway, thankfully, and put it on Rouge. So instead of putting the title on Marty Skrull, who was the most over guy in the company, one of the few guys selling merchandise, and the last connection they had to the elite and all those guys that were the most over acts in the company, they decided to forego trying to make any money, and then at the end of Marty's run, if he was leaving... He could have put over somebody else and they could have tried to make a star. Instead, what we've learned, because Joey Mercury is fucking leaking text messages all over Twitter, which has been hilarious, from Greg the Office Boy and all these numbnuts trying to run ROH, the whole feeling was, Marty's leaving and we know Matt Taven's staying. And that's why they gave him the title, and ever since then... Interest has been down, attendance has been down, the company's profile has been down, and I've never seen people talk negatively about ROH like this. This feels like when people were talking about all the different various times TNA was going to quote-unquote die. Right, and I think that that is a legitimate possibility because Sinclair Broadcasting, I think that the general theory is that Ring of Honor exists as long as Sinclair Broadcasting wants them to, and at a certain point, this is gonna, this is just not gonna be financially feasible. And I am sure that Greg, the general manager of Ring of Honor, I mean that that has to be absolutely embarrassing for that company, especially because of the way that it has gotten a lot of mainstream publicity. And I'm of two minds on the Joey Mercury situation. The first thing is, yes, I the tweets are hilarious <laughs> because he is literally exposing Ring of Honor's business. And to a certain extent, I think Ring of Honor deserves to be dragged for all the various things and the various malfeasances that they have been committing. And I'm sure you can get into that in just a minute. But on the other hand, Joey Mercury is somebody who has clearly has issues both with mental health as well as he has had substance abuse problems. So... I am I am very concerned about that because this is something that has come up a lot recently with uh, the ACH situation and Mauro Ranello's situation. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that Joey Mercury is of sound mind when he is doing these tweets because there, there's also that aspect to it. And I don't think that we should ignore that. No, you are very correct. I, I worry about the guy. I hope he's okay. But the thing that has been, the reason I'm finding it funny is because people have been on me all year. I've been talking constantly about the problems with ROH booking, the problems with the way the business is run, the lack of 
institutional integrity, the systematic breakdown of this company in front of our eyes. And now through Joey Mercury, whether it's a good thing or not for, for, you know, whatever he's exposing pretty much everything I've said for the past year, the Marty and Taven situation, um, the, the way people are being treated or not treated when there's injuries happening in events, um, the, the lack of management control overall, management leaving shows early, not being around in case anybody gets hurt or there are major problems. And it's just, it's, you know, it's becoming embarrassing. You had that whole bully race situation with the fan, you know, dragging a fan backstage and threatening the guy because he was making fun of Mandy Leone and his girlfriend. And it's like... Just all the shit going down with this company. And I don't take pride in being right. I take gratification in being right because I'm not stupid. I do this for a living. I've done this for a very long time. I know what I'm talking about. I've watched companies rise. I've unfortunately watched a lot of companies die. And I don't take any pleasure in that because I enjoy what I do for a living. And it's sad to see ROH, which came from nothing was a glorified indie show, super show, for the longest time, developed into a promotion that actually had a presence, was making stars, was starting to make some money, making an impact, and don't, you know, don't discount that because you look at all the ROH alumnus around the wrestling business, for fuck's sake, NXT TakeOver War Games, the main event was ROH One Night Stand. Yeah, and I think that you speak about Ring of Honor, and I don't think it's just a Ring of Honor issue. I think they are clearly still the most high profile of the promotions that I'm about to mention. And the fact is that you know they are owned by a by a, a major broadcasting company, and th- because of that, just for that reason alone, they're still a huge factor. But you think about so many influential promotions of the independent scene, uh, the PWGs, the Chikaras. It feels like a lot of these companies have lost a ton of influence over the last few years as WWE has signed talent and the start of AEW has clearly impacted this as well. But it seems to me like a lot of these promotions have lost a a lot of steam. And I think some of it has to do with the creative. I think there are various reasons why Chikara and PWG have struggled that simply are just bad circumstance and divorces and changing venues when they shouldn't have changed venues. But I think with Ring of Honor specifically, I think it has just been a slow erosion. I think this is something that when I did the podcast of Honor on Pro Wrestling Ponderings with Ari and Chris, the thing that I would hammer home on every show for like years was the fact that Ring of Honor was not refilling the coffers with with fresh talent. And it took a long time for me to be right because every time it seemed like ring of honor would either run out of talent or there would be some sort of a situation, a new Japan would bail them out or an AJ styles would return or a Jay lethal would return or they would sign a big new Japan deal and they would get all these guys or they would sign CMLL guys and they would bring them in. So what they, what they did is they did a really good job of hiding their problems for such a long time. But now the, the chickens have come home to roost at this point, and they don't really have the financial resources to compete 
with an AEW or a WWE. I, I think, in theory, Sinclair Broadcasting could compete, but they just refuse to. They continue to run the, the same venues and don't invest in the streaming service and don't invest in the TV. I mean, my God, it, it's, it's amazing. I, the Ring of Honor TV show has been around for eight years. And the only way that I could watch it on over-the-air television literally just started a couple weeks ago because it, they started airing on the Fox RSNs. And I was able to, like, if I wanted to, I could DVR Ring of Honor on Fox Sports Tennessee. That is literally the first time that I have had access to Ring of Honor television on actual television. The sad thing is the ROH TV product has become a joke now. Because all they're doing is they're showing, most weeks it's a bunch of highlights from the various Honor Club events, and then they air one match in full. They wow. Throw, and it's like it's Ian Riccoboni and Quinn McKay wrapping around and doing stuff, and they do a very nice job. But, like, right now, it's like we're a couple weeks out of Final Battle, and they've done, like, nothing to hype Final Battle on this show. And it's... It's just become, like, bad to watch. It's like, yeah, it's like, there may be one match on the show, and it may be a good match, but you're filling the show with 35 minutes of bullshit that I just can't care about. And then you're putting on a match that I've already already watched and reviewed nine times out of ten. Well, the good thing is that you just get to copy and paste your review, so it makes your life a little easier. It least, does, right? and I do appreciate that, but I just, I don't, I can't understand how anybody can actually invest in that product. And I, I read every week people leave comments in the ROH review that, uh, you know, unfortunately, I've, I've been an ROH fan for X number of years. And I just, with all the wrestling out there, I just, I had to kick ROH TV from my rotation because there's too much other good stuff out there to watch. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got just WWE alone. Even if you're not, even if you didn't watch Raw and SmackDown, you could still be watching two hours of NXT and one hour of NXT UK. And that's just eliminating Raw and SmackDown from your rotation. That's not to mention the fact that AEW, of course, has their two-hour wrestling show. And my guess is that a lot of the people who were watching Ring of Honor are now watching and supporting AEW. That is pure speculation on my part. I think that AEW has undoubtedly created some interest from outside indie wrestling fans, but that's what my guess is. I think a lot of Ring of Honor fans have probably transitioned their loyalties, and who could blame them for one second for doing that? But... I think that it's it's depressing to me because it feels like Ring of Honor never really figured out the timelines of television and hyping up their pay-per-views. Like, that's something that they were struggling with literally in 2008, 2009. And the fact that it's still an issue 10 years later just shows you the, the lack of quality control that exists and how Sinclair perceives that product. I think Sinclair has always perceived Ring of Honor to be this this low-rent operation that they can run cheaply and whenever they don't want them anymore, they're just going to discard them like they discard anything else. And that's something that should not be ignored. Uh, one of the questions that I have for you, Larry, is do we know who Greg, the Ring of Honor general manager, is he someone's cousin in Sinclair Broadcasting? Is he a husband? Is he a son? Because it just feels like this is the kind of situation where you put a fail son or the cousin of someone who is grossly incompetent and everything they do into this position because they cannot harm the broadcasting company. 
I mean, I don't know, but it, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good uh, speculation and analogy because it kind of feels like that. And um, there's been a lot of stuff going around, uh, you know, the dark Twitter DMs and all that stuff that, um, you know, Joe Coff has been like the big one in support and running Ring of Honor. And he's getting older and there's a lot of speculation that he's going to be gone soon. And that they were trying to, for better or worse, groom Greg the Office Boy to be the big guy to take over. But with all the stuff that's come out, you have a Newsweek article out there. And just everything that's come out that makes this man look completely incompetent. I would not be surprised if Joe Coff steps away. That Sinclair just kind of is, they're done with it. They try to offload it. They try to, you know, sell the contract, sell the tape library, whatever. And um, just, I would not be surprised. Uh, my, my co-host Jeremy keeps, uh, he has said since September that by September of next year, he sees the Ring of Honor library on the WWE Network and the company's done. I mean, that would be really depressing. I'm I'm almost hoping that AEW buys it just so WWE doesn't have it. Because, I mean, that's just really depressing. <laughs> For WWE to be in control of that tape library, I would love to see it just get used in a really productive way and just upload all of those amazing shows. And I would love to see that be the, the backbone of an AEW streaming service. I think that's... That's what the best thing for everyone involved. I almost wonder if a Ring of Honor Impact Wrestling, which is another company that I'm not a fan of, I almost wonder if it would just be better if they merged and just did what they could with what they had and just be the the solid number three the the solid number three company in this country. Um, yeah, the funny thing is, you know, there's been a lot of unsp- unsubstantiated rumors of Anthem interest in ROH. And I wouldn't throw that out the window completely for the fact that Anthem has money. Anthem did buy Access TV. They run the Fight Network. They have Impact Plus. They're always looking for more material for their streaming service. I would not throw that out the window completely. I don't necessarily see it, but I wouldn't throw that idea out. And, I mean, yeah, if if you're Anthem and you're actually looking to build impact and they have done some good things with impact scoring that ROH tape library for your streaming service and picking up the contracts of, you know, a select few and everything is not the worst idea. And I have to believe ACH is going to end up there at some point. Ring of honor impact impact because he's, I know that ACH (laughs) is doing the Sammy Callahan shows and I, I just think it's 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 a fait accompli that he's going to end up with impact at some point, and that's probably the right place for him. I was expecting you to laugh harder on the ROH thing because it's like, yeah, no, he, he's, because he's, he's not going back to ROH. I mean, I think there's some PTSD from Ring of Honor and the way that ACH was treated, and I think that actually raises a really good point that I that I want to talk about because I think the way that Ring of Honor has treated wrestlers of color and the women especially, and this will be a nice transition into talking about the women, but the way that they've treated wrestlers of color has been a disgrace. And the fact is other than Jay lethal, who again, this is one of those things just because you have a black friend doesn't mean you can't be racist just because they push Jay lethal. doesn't mean that they have had significant issues. And I cite ACH as one of them. 
Keith Lee is probably the big one because Keith Lee had a monstrous weekend in WWE and he got more shine and in one weekend than I think he did in however long he was in ring of honor. And I think that's also been a real indictment of the company. The fact that they have not taken the best talent available and have just wasted numerous wrestlers, including Keith Lee. They, they, they say that Shane Taylor is going to be this big star and granted Shane Taylor seems to be at least a, a part of the company, but even he is involved in this goofy TV title angle, correct? The yeah, the, the horrible angle with Shane Taylor. I hate these angles. Is that his contract, quote unquote, was uh, coming up, so he bought out his contract, and he's uh, being billed as promoted by Shane Taylor Promotions, and he's making ROH pay him top dollar to defend the TV title. Wouldn't it be funny if he actually did get his release and just left? I think that would genuinely be hilarious. Well, the big speculation from the Joey Mercury tweets is that ROH has planned to not resign him in 2020. I mean, of course, of course, of course. So, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Keith Lee had a a great week overall. I talked about this on the Survivor Series podcast we did. Uh, he was in the big closing angle on Raw. He was in big angle on NXT Wednesday night. He was in the closing angle of SmackDown. He won in the main event of War Games. He went toe-to-toe with the big dog after pinning Seth Rollins on a big four pay-per-view. And then got the got the respect to Roman Reigns afterwards. Came off like a complete star. And my, my comparison was that like, I know Adam Cole has been getting all the love because he had a fucking great month. And he deserves all of that praise, especially working injured still. But I didn't want it to get lost that not only did he, you know, did Adam Cole get over huge, but Rhea Ripley got over huge. Keith Lee got over huge. In a rare instance, it felt like WWE was making stars. And it warmed my heart to see Keith Lee get that. I wrote a big article when he signed with WWE, and you talked about his ROH treatment booking. It's like, yeah, it's like his run was largely just kind of laughable and throwaway. Then he went and had a great run in Evolve. He had a string of great performances in PWG, in progress. So he was booked better everywhere as opposed to ROH. Right, and I think it's funny that you mentioned the WWE is trying to create new stars. So let me get this straight, Larry. They are trying to create new stars and get people over on the one show that is competing against another company's wrestling show. It's funny how that works. It's shocking, I know. And uh, it's like, I, you know, Jer- Jeremy was like, I don't care why they're doing it. I'm just glad they're doing it. But we all know why they're doing it. <laughs> so right, like- of course. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. But yes, you are absolutely correct. Competition makes everyone better. That is very, very obvious. It, it's shocking how that happens in life. Um, so before, before we talk about the women, I want to kind of Tarantino back. You know, we talked about the New Japan thing. And it has felt like throughout 2019, New Japan has really felt like they've distanced themselves from Ring of Honor after MSG. Um, the the use of talents in um, New Japan has been sparse. They used Cole Cabana for the New Japan Cup. They're using him and Cobb for World Tag League. They used Bandito for Best of Super Juniors. They used Marty. But it's like they haven't used a lot. They used Gresham for the um, the Super J Cup. But they haven't done a lot, and they haven't sent a lot of talent to ROH to the point that when they did Global Wars, it was turned into 
the Global Wars Espectacular Tour, and they worked with CMLL, their other partner this year. Yeah, I mean, can you, I mean, like from New Japan's perspective, I mean, they are a company that feels like they are trying to grow constantly. That's been the, that's been their modus operandi for the last eight years or so, ever since kind of the big boom happened. And they're clearly trying to make a move in the United States. And let's be honest, this is clearly the direction that New Japan has always been going in. Let's for people to pretend like this Ring of Honor New Japan thing was ever going to last in the long term was foolhardy because New Japan is by wide margin the bigger company, but they needed to if they were going to come into the United States they needed to kind of cover their asses and Ring of Honor was the logical place for them to do that much more so than any other promotion so they smartly attached themselves to Ring of Honor they have used them quite well to get their own talents over and to create some saturation of market here. And granted, I don't know if New Japan is ever going to be even as popular as AEW, but it's really obvious that New Japan no longer needs Ring of Honor to succeed, and that's bad news for Ring of Honor. And it's the same thing with CMLL. Now, I don't. I know CMLL is... It's much different. Lucha Libre always... <laughs> it's always a tough nut for me to crack. I've never been as much into Lucha Libre as I have a lot of other forms of professional wrestling. But if CMLL gets a a stronghold in the United States, does anyone really think they're going to hang around with Ring of Honor too? Like if CMLL was able to run a show on their own, why would they need Ring of Honor too? So the same thing is going to happen with CMLL. If if Ring of Honor lives, the same thing is going to happen with them too. Yeah, and the sad thing is too is like you know they they ran that tour. That tour did not do great, including what I what I believe it was the lowest house in Chicago in years. Like it was like five hundred or under, and that's just that's not good because as you mentioned, like Chicago was always kind of like a safe haven for Ring of Honor, even if the company wasn't that hot or drawing well overall. They could go to Chicago and, depending on the venue, draw one to two thousand people like at the snap of a finger. And the fact that they were drawing like five hundred in Chicago, and that included a Matt Taven Volador Jr. match, which had a year's build going back to the CMLL anniversary show, and nobody cared. And again, that goes back to crowning Matt Taven as your champion which directly led to a decline in interest and attendance. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the evidence is literally slapping you in the face. Yeah, and you know, people were like, well, you just don't like Matt Taven. I'm like, yeah, listen, I'm not going to hide it. He's not my favorite fucking wrestler. I will say that he largely had good matches as champion. He had a great match with Roosh when he dropped the title. But that doesn't change the fact that he wasn't drawing. The audiences went down. The interest went down. It was hard to care. I can only hear Hey Melvin, I'm Matt Taven so often before I tune it out. What a what a way to start it. I mean, just very just incredible like. Um they should, the Ring of Honor should just do Matt Taven versus Just Incredible just for the hell of it. Because it would be uh it would be really interesting at this point. Insert the little Spider Man meme with them pointing at each other. <laughs> yes oh, I mean they should just book, book Aldo Montoya That's Let's do that instead 
So, yeah, I mean, and again, the decline is there. The numbers are out there. The numbers are published. Again, I will promote Voices of Wrestling. There's a great article that breaks it down number by number, gives you all the averages you need. We're not just speculating. This is a fact right now. And it's a sad fact considering they drew that house in Madison Square Garden. You know, again, with the help of New Japan. And I will state again... I firmly believe that not only was New Japan obviously the bigger draw, but that event sold out when everybody thought the Elite was working that show. People thought Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks were going to be on that show. And Cody. I kind of group Cody in with the Elite, but yeah, to be more specific, Cody as well. I am admittedly not the biggest fan of Cody Rhodes, but to pretend like he's not a draw would be, you would be insane at this point. He's clearly a draw. Yeah, I mean, again, and you look back, we talk about ROH numbers and stuff. The that WrestleMania weekend he did with Omega, they drew six thousand fans. Yes, on a show that was uh, was a mixed bag. We'll say that. But again, I mean, the the evidence is there right before you. I mean, Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes arguably are the ones who who drew that house and did a spectacular job in doing so because, you know, those are two guys who have undoubtedly hit their peaks at, at the right time and hit their peaks in such a way that they could go off and kind of do their own thing. You know, Cody Rhodes has done such a magnificent job of rehabilitating himself. And uh, let's face it, he used the ring of honor basically to rehabilitate his image and, People might think that I'm being negative. I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, that's absolutely what he should be doing. If he, if if Ring of Honor is going to give him the latitude to do whatever he wants, then God damn it, that's what he should do. I mean, I think Cody Rhodes is a brilliant individual. And even if you don't like Cody Rhodes in the ring, what he has done in every other aspect is something that every professional wrestler should be looking at and thinking about and understanding why it is that he is a star. Undoubtedly, he is a, he comes across as a bigger star than almost everyone in WWE and everybody in Ring of Honor right now. And there's a reason for that. And people are going to say it's because he's a second-generation wrestler. That may be part of it. Um, I will cite the fact that Cody Rhodes is clearly reliving his dad's glory days, and there are some clear father issues that exist, but that's for another podcast. But he's a star. And the fact that Ring of Honor didn't do everything they could to keep him. And the fact that Cody Rhodes just went off and did his own thing, I think is another huge indictment. I almost wonder if ring of honor had just sold to Tony Khan and it was ring of honor on Wednesdays. Wouldn't, wouldn't we all just be, be doing a lot better? I think a lot of people would be doing a lot better, including the wrestlers, man, just cause they'd be in front of people. <laughs> yes. That is, that is clearly a problem for poor, poor Volador Jr. And Roosh. Uh, you know, man, I tell you what, man, I, I, I'd love for Cody just to, yeah, he needs to record some videos and just do a big fucking Ted talk for everybody looking to, to, to make it after they leave WWE because Jesus. Yeah. It's like, who would have thought that in 2019 that you could make the argument that Cody is the biggest babyface star in professional wrestling? I mean, I think that that says a lot about it. It kind of says a lot about the industry, but it also says a lot about a guy who bet on himself and did everything he could to rehabilitate his image and not just be stardust or hold a goofy mirror or 
do whatever he was doing in WWE. Um, I mean, it's just, it's something very admirable. It really is. And it's, yeah, he just, he, I went back and I ta- I've talked about this a lot too. I wrote articles about it and everything, but like this man orchestrated his WWE eg- exit to perfection. He got out. Everybody made fun of it at first, but he made that list. That list got a ton of attention. Then he smartly refused to overprice himself because he could have done the, you know, the, you know, $15,000 paydays thing and just ran a couple big matches here and there and made money. Instead, he was willing to work for almost anybody. He gave reduced rates and he was smart enough to book, you know, weekends to where people could share the travel cost to get himself more bookings. He was willing to work with pretty much anybody. And it took a lot at first because he was ingrained in that WWE house style because he came up in it. He never worked anywhere else. And then, you know, he started putting things together. I was annoyed for the longest time because there was always too much of, especially in ROH, Cody, you know, he brought the circus with him. And just, it, it was always too much for me at times. And, like, my opinion is, like, when you have a boring match with Haramu Takahashi, that, like, that angered me almost. And, but he's turned things around. I'm extremely impressed with what the guy's done. And it's just, like, there's still people trying to devalue that. And I just, I don't know how you can when that guy comes out, he gets a superstar reaction. He looks like a star. He dresses like a star. He talks like a star. He's working like a star. And it's just, it, it's kind of incredible to see. And yeah, I mean, if Ring of Honor played things right, they could have had it. Certainly. I think we, we need to talk about the women issue, women issue because if when we think about the women of honor, this is something that goes back 14 years. This is something that goes back to when they first started trying to incorporate women. And a lot of it had to do with Shimmer, which came around in the autumn of 2005. The first Shimmer show happened to be on the same weekend that a Ring of Honor show ran in Chicago. And they have tried to unsuccessfully book Women of Honor legitimately under the last three or four administrations, depending how you count the delirious Jim Cornette. They have failed to do this with Gabe Sapolsky, Adam Pierce, Delirious, and Jim Cornette. That is unbelievable that WWE has lapped them multiple times by booking the women so much better. And WWE still has a ton of problems, but WWE does it so much better. AEW does it so much better. Impact Wrestling, for God's sakes, books their women so much better than Ring of Honor ever has. And then you read this stuff about Kelly Klein, and look, Kelly Klein is not very good. But regardless of what you think of her as a talent, like it is, it is morally reprehensible the fact that her contract situation is morally reprehensible and the concussion thing is morally reprehensible. You talk about the fact that they've basically tried to book women's wrestling for like 14 years and have constantly failed. And I was a big supporter of trying to get the women of honor thing going. I wanted it to be more than a YouTube match a week. I wanted it on TV. I wanted an eventual belt. 
because I thought that it could be a valuable portion to the show that they were lacking. And I was all for it. And it's just, it's not, it's just not been done well. It's like, with all due respect to Sumi Sakai, who I'm sure is a sweetheart of a lady, you know, they book her as the first champion as a, it was like a lifetime achievement award. And to her credit, I mean, she had fine matches. Her matches were even good at times. There was actually nothing wrong with her in the ring. It's just that, like, nobody cared. They never really pushed any other women up. They never tried to make stars. And that's why you lost people like Deanna Perrazzo and Karen Q, who realized that they were never going to get to that next level. They were never going to get pushed. Kelly Klein is now a three-time Ring of Honor Women's Champion. And, like, they built up this whole angle with her and Angelina Love. They culminated it with Angelina Love winning the title. And then they switched the title back 15 days later. For reasons. I mean, what do you even say? Yeah. And, now you know, you brought up the pay thing. And, like, again, you go to these Joey Mercury messages and stuff. And the contract stuff, there, there's all kind of stuff to where... <laughs> The women were messaging and trying to get, you know, they wanted time on TV. And then they were told that, well, we really can't invest with you on TV because we only have an hour until you're over. But how do you expect the women to get over and people to care about if they're never on TV and only on YouTube and occasionally on live events and it's the same three or four women all the time and that you're not building stars? And then Kelly Klein, mind you, who is their champion and the most pushed woman in the company, was making $20,000. She wanted a raise to $24,000. She was not even asking to double her pay. She wanted four grand more, so she was averaging two grand a month. And I would like to point out that she would be well within her rights to actually demand not only a doubling of her salary, but a tripling of her salary given what professional wrestlers have to go through. If she had asked for $60,000, again, regardless of what I think of Kelly Klein, she is well within her rights to do that. Exactly, especially because they've pushed her as the biggest woman star in the company. They strapped her up three times, and then you're telling her, we can't give you $24,000 because then we'd have to give everybody else more money. You all have to make the same money because you don't really matter to us. That's essentially what she was told. You're all the same. You all make the same. But the fact is, they're not all the same because they were pushing her as a star. Don't get me wrong. I am not a Kelly Klein fan. I've talked about it all year on the podcast. You can go back and listen to any podcast where I talk about Ring of Honor. I think Kelly Klein is probably a very nice woman. She's a pretty lady. She works hard, but I don't think she's a good professional wrestler. When, when you're having poor matches with Mayu Iwatani, you're having issues. Okay? But, regardless of what I think, she's also a human being putting her life on the line in the ring, putting her body on the line, and she wanted a mild raise and was refused, despite, again, being the most p- pushed woman in the company. She was refused that. She got a concussion and was reportedly not taken care of. There was reportedly no doctor to check on her, despite what Ring of Honor says. 
And now she's dealing with post-concussion problems. And now Ring of Honor is not going to resign her and have essentially fired her, despite what they say they're letting her contract run out. She's been fired. Because th- these things came out and she spoke on it. I mean, I think that says a lot about the kind of people that you're dealing with. And we cannot do, we cannot decontextualize the Kelly Klein issue from what Sinclair Broadcasting is. And I think when you understand the kind of company that Sinclair Broadcasting is, I think it lends a lot of perspective. This is a company that is not only conservative, but they are a right-wing air horn in a lot of ways. And I think that that is represented by the way that they treat their workers, including Kelly Klein, and the fact that they, they would especially treat women so horribly is, is undoubtedly a, a huge part of this. Sinclair Broadcasting, they run their television stations on the cheap. You can look all of this information up and understand. I mean, there was a great video that I saw. That, this is not wrestling related at all. But there's this great video of, I think it's Timothy Burke, who used to write for Deadspin and does a lot of these kinds of videos. But he put a video out of Sinclair Broadcasting that they make their t- television stations do these reads and he just put a, a montage of all these different these all these different nude stations reading the same thing at one time and just showing what kind of company Sinclair Broadcasting is. And I think that this Kelly Klein situation is very representative of the fact that they do not care about human beings as individuals. And when you are thinking about that, when you are d- dealing with that, it's really obvious why everybody is leaving. <laughs> This is why people, they, because they're not being valued. And I'm sure WWE does not exactly value their talent either, but there's still the potential to make a hell of a lot more money there than in WWE. Undoubtedly, there's more money to be made in New Japan. AEW is run by wrestlers, so I have to believe that there is some consideration given to these people as individuals. And you could do that, or you can work for Greg the Office Boy, who may be someone's cousin, maybe someone's husband, maybe all of these different things, but he's clearly not someone qualified to be running a professional wrestling company. And I think when you put all that together, what you end up with is this situation. And I hope that there is a way for Kelly Klein to sue this company into oblivion and either run Ring of Honor and shut them down herself or in some way be fairly compensated for all the bullshit that he has, that she has had to deal with in that company. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be great just because it's just, again, you know, I don't have to be a fan of somebody's work to appreciate them as a human being. And she was treated like shit. It's ridiculous. And again, I don't understand. I mean, you, you brought up why, because it's the company and everything, but I'm sorry, if you're the biggest push, pushed person and biggest star in a division in the company and you ask for a mild raise and get refused because you're completely interchangeable and that, you know, you have to be paid the same as everybody else, that's bullshit. And then everybody wonders why they haven't been able to sign more women. And that's, you know, Tennille Dashwood probably said, fuck you, I'm worth more than $20,000. I actually have a big online following and I work for WWE. I, I deserve more. So she left. Can't blame her. Larry, I certainly hope you're making more than $20,000 a year at 411 Mania. If not, then, then I'm going to be your Joey Mercury and I'm going to help you get your raise. 
Listen, brother, don't you pay it? You should read the 411 comments section. I'm being paid that sweet Tony Khan money. That would be that would be pretty great because Tony Khan is a billionaire. So you should absolutely sell out for that. I wish I was, man. It's, it's at this point that, like, just to kind of tangent off real quick, it's like I, I joked about it on Twitter because I get these same assholes every week that if I give AEW a better score than NXT, I'm in Tony Khan's pocket. Oh, we should start tracing Zonka's bank account for Tony Khan deposits. It, it's just like at this point every week, I want to give AEW a 10 and NXT a 1 just to fucking tell everybody to fuck off. So, so this is so th- there's one thing I want to say, Larry. I'm sure that the majority of the people who read your comms on a weekly basis are great and wonderful people who never read or post comments. The problem, Larry, is that you are in a situation where we are we live in a society where the minority have such a voice because of social media and because of comment sections like yours. So I would I would gently tell all of the people who are probably listening to this podcast and have probably been annoyed by about 16 things that I've said, some of which are political, some of which have to do with wrestling. I'm just going to say to all of them that I am not reading your comments and that you can all fuck off. Yeah, I I just find it hilarious. I'm like, it's like every Wednesday night, I have like the best time covering wrestling. Because it's a tremendously fun night. I love talking about it afterwards with Jeremy. Have a good time. And it's just like, the funny thing is, is like there are other shows that find like the most ridiculous reasons to prop up AEW where they don't need it and bury NXT for no reason. And it's like, and I don't get that either. It's like, why don't you go talk to these assholes? Anyway, but the Ring of Honor stuff is just, it's honestly just so depressing at this point. Because it's not that, it's not just that attendance is down and it feels like nobody cares. It's not just that people are leaving. It's it's why these things are happening. It feels like there's a complete systematic breakdown at the top and that it's just spilling down. And so now, I mean, you got here at the end of the year, there are contracts coming up. I'm going to be shocked if Jeff Cobb stays. I think he's out. I think he probably ends up trying to sign with just New Japan like Elgin did back in the day because he just... I think he's he's sick of it. I did, I can't imagine with the way he's been booked that he's like, "Yep, I'm in for another year." I mean, maybe he's sick of it, but if he's getting that sweet New Japan money, I'm sure that is satiating him at least a little bit. Remember when he was in an amazing match with Will Ospreay, and then he lost the TV title immediately? Yeah. Genuinely hilarious. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, and again, that was one of the best matches on that MSG card. And it's like, yeah, it's like that dude goes out there and kills it. And then they feed him the Taven because he's going to the G1 in a lackluster nine-minute match, killing his undefeated streak. And, yeah, and then, then he just lost to Roosh in the UK. He's doing World Tag League. He's not even booked for Final Battle yet, even though the full card isn't out. You have this Women of Honor title situation, which I'm just, I'm assuming they're going to strip her of the title. And apparently Maria Manic and Angelina Love is set for that show. So that's probably going to end up being for the title. Wait, Maria Manic is actually wrestling for the company that he's contracted with? Allegedly, that's, that's the, they, they announced it on the one show. And it's like, yeah, that was great. They signed her. All she did was beat up some people for six months. They let her contract run out. She did a WWE tryout, then ended up signing back. 
seriously, when is Ian Riccoboni's contract up? Because we need to get him. We need to find him another job in wrestling. Maybe you could take Josh Matthews' job in Impact. Yeah, free Ian, man. I, uh, he 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 is too good for that company. I mean, I appreciate the fact that Ring of Honor has has basically built him from the ground up, and he seems like a genuinely good and nice person. And I, I really want to put this out there because we've been very negative that Ian seems like the nicest person. I think he's really good at his job, and I would love to see him commentate for a company that does not suck. No, I completely agree. I've actually talked with him a lot of times. He's a very nice person, and I agree with you. He does a great job. He was put in a really difficult position when Kevin Kelly left, and he has thrived. He is great. I love him. I think he does. Him and Colt are a great commentary team, and it's just, yeah, it's um, I, I'd love to see him on to bigger and better things, too. I mean, if he's happy, God bless him, but it's just, it just feels like such a bad situation. It's like... You look at all this stuff, you look at the decline, and you brought it up earlier too. It's like Final Battle hasn't even sold 500 tickets left. This is the biggest fucking ROH show every year. The big combination of Do you, do you know what I would have done to go back to a Final Battle show back in the day? Because I never actually got to go to a Final Battle. Like, I would have done I would have done some things that probably would have crossed some lines to get to a Final Battle show back in the day. Like, if you tell me I could go to Final Battle 2006 and see that show, or like even 07, 08... Man, but like the idea of just going to final battle is just it 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 would never even occur to me today. Yeah, and it's it kind of hard to blame you, man. I mean, it's just there's been no effort into hyping this card. They've announced matches online. That's it. <laughs> They've been sent out into the void. Exactly, and it's and that's I just don't understand how you're not building this show more. It's just, it's a complete, they've lost all perspective perspective on this. This is your biggest show of the year. There are still people that buy it traditionally on pay-per-view and fight TV. You would think that you would be doing everything you can to try and make money and try and sell tickets to that show. And they're not. And here we are. <laughs> and you're going to watch the show and bless your heart for doing it. Hell yeah, man. Busy weekend. Final battle, NWA pay-per-view, TLC. Oh, I'll be doing it all. Wow. So Ring of Honor, NWA, and WWE are all running pay-per-views. If you had told me that the NWA and WWE would run a pay-per-view on the same weekend in 2019, I would have slapped you because I wouldn't have believed you. And here we are. That is the thing that's happening. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy, isn't it? You know, and going back, I, I want to. The other thing I want to say about the ROH Chicago shows. Another thing I heard was that, um, besides being burnt out, they're like, "Well, this is the biggest laughing point I had." Chicago didn't care about the CMLL stars because they don't care about lucha. Excuse me. Um, MLW went in there and kept selling two thousand tickets with LA Park on top and a bunch of lucha guys. Pretty sure Chicago still likes their luchadors. They and bring Chicago, drums and fucking horns and shit. Those people were going insane. Chicago has an enormous Latino population, especially exactly. especially where Ring of Honor runs. That is that is not that far from Cicero and some of the some of those spaces. So, I mean that that is laughable to me. That's just simply impossible. Lucha has had a lot of success with MLW and AEW when they would bring in some of the luchadors, I mean, they would have tremendous success as well. Just bringing in a completely different audience 
than than goes to any other wrestling show. And it's like, and here we are too. We're in 2019. How many times were the jokes over the years that TNA is dying? Impact Wrestling was running a bunch of modest sub-1,000 buildings for their pay-per-views and bigger shows. And they drew way better than ROH did in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, I think we've reached a point where Ring of Honor has essentially become the number four company in the United States, and that's not a place that you want to be because, Larry, there's this is just not sustainable. I mean... I think the other thing that I always like to bring up with these kinds of conversations is there is so much competition out there for your dollar. And that competition is only strengthening. I mean, Disney Disney Plus is a recent streaming service that I think has taken over a lot of people's lives this holiday season for a lot of reasons. There is a new streaming service coming out in the spring, HBO Max. So there are all these different entertainment venues. There's gaming. There's wrestling. There's peak TV. There's so much out there. What is Ring of Honor doing to capture these people's dollar? And it's obvious they're not doing anything because they have 500 people going to their final battle show when if they announced the final battle was happening back in the day, they would just get 1,000 people to come to it because it was final battle. And now they can't get 500 people. And that's, and that's really sad. And I, I really look at where Ring of Honor is going to be next year and so that they, they may apparently actually be running WrestleMania weekend. And I am fascinated to see what the draw is because, spoiler alert, there's a lot of wrestling in Tampa that weekend. Tampa is not nearly as good of a wrestling market as New Jersey, New York. So there are going to be some shows that take a bath. And I think that is going to be another kind of nail in their coffin is WrestleMania weekend because I just I don't see how they find success. There's like 900 shows already announced, and I just read that apparently uh, Joey Janela's Spring Break 4 is almost sold out already, which shouldn't really be a shock after the past couple years, because that show pretty much always sells out and has a big following. Um, Yeah, I just, I think you're being generous calling them number four at this point, because you have WWE, AEW, Impact, New Japan, MLW. Which I think you could argue MLW is even ahead of them these days. Yeah, I mean, I had not thought of MLW and New Japan. I mean, New Japan's in kind of this weird situation because they kind of have TV here, but we don't really know what the ratings are. So you're probably right. MLW is probably the number four company at this point, which, again, we are living in a bizarre world. And, like... If, if Jim Cornette wasn't a racist, might NWA be even above them at this point? Because, I, I mean, I think the NWA trade is going to sink very quickly because of that incident. And But, man, like there is, there is definitely a scenario where the NWA could very well easily be more popular than the Ring of Honor going into 2020, which, wow, what a, what a flashback that is. I, I, it's 2019, and we're talking about MLW back and the NWA back. I mean, nothing, nothing ever cra- dies, Larry. I know it's dies. it's insane though to think about, and yeah, it's I I don't know, man. It's like, and everybody's big thing is, well, how do you fix it? Well, unfortunately, there is no quick fix. The Rock ain't walking in the fucking door. Okay, you can't just turn it around overnight. 
This is now, I think it's safe to say, Jerome, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, this is years of damage that is going to have to be undone from a booking standpoint, a lack of making stars standpoint, and a damage to your reputation standpoint. You cannot turn that shit around overnight. It's going, if it happens at all, it's going to be a long and slow process. I mean, I think the logical place you have to start is you have to get rid of the top people because it is, it's a cultural thing. I think that whenever you look at a sports team or an organization or a TV show or a movie, it's, it starts at the top. If you don't have a solid culture at the top, then nothing else is going to work. You can have the best wrestlers. You can have the best people, the best talent. It's not going to mean anything if you don't have solid people at the top. So that's where it has to start. But I just don't think Sinclair Broadcasting is willing to put capable people at the top because I don't think they care. And so for me, I then think about, like, what is the best situation? And I think the best circumstance for Ring of Honor at this point is to perhaps merge with another company or to be sold off to the M- to MLW or to AEW or TNA and just kind of go from there and let the wrestlers do what they're going to do. But I, Ring of Honor as an entity, I just don't understand what their function is at this point because they're really not they're not catering to any niche. I think NWA has kind of its niche. MLW has its thing. AEW has its. WWE has its. Ring of Honor, in addition to every other problem that we've talked about, they don't have an identity as a company. And this is a promotion that used to have a lot of character and identity. And it's something that they they lost when Gabe left and Pierce took over. I think they lost a lot of their personality as they went to HDNet and tried to become more of a TV company. I think it's something they kind of regained a little bit with the elite and AJ Styles being a part of the company. But what is Ring of Honor's identity? And amidst all the other problems, the fact that I don't think I can answer that and tell you definitively what Ring of Honor is doing, I think that is where we kind of have to end, end up with because as a company, Ring of Honor does not have an identity. And if, they, if you told me that Ring of Honor was going to shut down in 2020, I would not be surprised. I watch like every ROH show and I can't tell you what their identity is anymore. I don't know. At the very least, there was a time. There were various times where ROH was the great wrestling work rate company, and yes. they're not even that anymore. I mean, NXT is arguably that now. <laughs> and NXT, AEW. I mean, I mean, if you and if you just want to talk pure work rate shows, I mean, you have the people that love like PWG. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean, and you could certainly that is that certainly fills a certain niche for people. I think their their influence has waned considerably, but I think they're all again. We talk about the 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 number of options that are available, and Ring of Honor just does does not seem like a destination for a lot of people at this point. And if it's not going to be that, then they they really don't have anything because I think even with with a PWG with an AEW. With a Beyond Wrestling, you know, these are companies that not only they're not national brands, but they have their local audience that I think are going to support them no matter what. I think people are going to go to Beyond Wrestling because it's their company. It is Providence slash Boston slash whatever in New England. That's kind of their company. That's their hometown team. 
AEW is the hometown team for Chicago. PWG is kind of the hometown team for California. So even if their influence has waned, I think those kinds of companies are still going to be able to find a certain measure of success because their identity is so closely intertwined with the cities that they run in. And I think that they are able to capture, they're able to capture something with that. The fact that PWG is a is California's company and AEW is Chicago's company. Ring of Honor is nobody's company because they don't, I mean, New York and Philadelphia kind of both used to be their big towns, but they don't really have it. They don't really have, I mean, I think they call Baltimore their home venue now, which is because Sinclair is based out of Baltimore. But I mean, Baltimore is not, the biggest wrestling city like a New York or Chicago is. Yeah. And again, they can't even count on Chicago anymore because, you know, impacts outdrawing them. AEW outdraws them. AEW's outdrawing them with these. I mean, it's like, yeah, they don't even have that. Again, they don't even have that Chicago fallback. Cause they get, that was like the safe space. All right. We've had a run of a couple bad shows, but we got Chicago coming up in six weeks. It's going to be a good house with a hot crowd. And you you don't have that safe haven anymore. And again, no, like you, you said too, and you don't. Uh, I was gonna say you don't have a safe haven either. Yeah, obviously, he he's a uh, he's feuding with Vinny the Balloon guy now. I mean, are, are they cap- are they trying to capitalize on Pennywise? Is that why Vinny is carrying a, a balloon? He's been carrying doing the balloon gimmick for a while now, but it's just I don't fucking know. I, he's <laughs> Vincent the Horror Geek. I don't fucking is. So yeah, they're having a grudge match at the pay per view, but it's it's um it, it's a sad state of affairs. And again, it's this isn't on the wrestlers, man, because I talk all the time. I watch these shows. There are so many guys putting in good and great performances. The Briscoes are still delivering great matches. Jay Lethal and Gresham are delivering great matches. The Lifeblood guys, the Villain Enterprises guys have been really good. There's a lot of people still working hard and delivering, but it's just when everything is fucked at the top, it spills all the way down. They have no identity, as you as you said. They don't feel like they have any any vision, any future plans laid out well. And I guess to kind of wind this up, I mean, we're coming up on Final Battle. Jerome, is this company even around for Final Battle 2020? I, <laughs> this is the hardest question you've asked me. I'm going to say yes, just because I, I almost hesitate to say that a company is going to die at this point. Because, I mean, for God's sakes, Impact Wrestling, I mean, look at Impact Wrestling. Look at what they've survived. This company hasn't made a dime in its, what, almost 20 years of existence at this point, and they're still hanging around. So for that, for like that reason alone, I don't even have, Larry, I don't have a logical reason for saying yes, but I almost feel like I have to say yes because I, there's just something in me that says that it's going to survive because CZW's still around, Larry. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, it's hard to argue, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Like, this, I'm not even basing this on facts. Like, the, the, there is evidence to suggest that this company could very easily die. And it would not surprise me if it did. But, like, MLW is still around. Like, it's it, – this is breaking my brain. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's, it's – they're going to have to do some massive restructuring. They need to get a better business person in charge. They need to fucking get rid of Delirious and Bully Ray. And I don't know who you bring in. I don't have the answers. 
But you need to find somebody. It has to be somebody else. You need new vision. And I always go back to like the territory stuff, which is like, you know, you'd have a guy that would work a territory for two to four years as a booker at most, and then he moved on somewhere else. Because you needed to freshen up the territory, which is also why you constantly freshened up the talents. I can't tell you one star that Delirious has legitimately made. I mean, he may make stars in his head with the drugs he does, but not like wrestling stars. I mean, but but honestly, can you think of one star the guy has made through his booking? I mean, Eddie Edwards, question mark, maybe? Uh, that didn't exactly last long because he left. Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> like... That is that is me stretching the bounds of what a how long is. ago was that Jesus? I mean, we're talking like the early days of of Delirious, but I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, certainly he did not help turn Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks into stars. I think the only argument that you can make is he gave them the platform to rehabilitate themselves so they could go start AEW. That's probably that's probably Delirious's best. Uh, Best booking decision was just leaving the elite alone so that they could go create their own wrestling company. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it, and the thing is too, is like, man, it's like, yeah, someone asked me the other day or like, are, are you, are you happy that you're right about all this? It's like, no, because it's like on a small personal level, I like being right, but it's just the fact that I don't want to see a company close. And I just, I don't know if they can turn around enough to stay viable for another year. In theory, they can, because in theory, Sinclair could flood them with cash, and they could sign more people, and they could improve. But there's also been no sign that Sinclair has any want to do that. And Larry, I could also eat rainbow sherbet, and I could fart out rainbows and unicorns. That could also happen. Both things are just as likely to happen, as a matter of fact. So I uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a sad state of affairs to talk about. Um, it is really depressing. This has been a really depressing hour and a half, Larry. So thanks for thanks for it. Thanks for igniting this depression in me. Just be glad I didn't ask you to watch and review Raw with me. <sighs> I mean, it might have been better than having this conversation. I don't know. It's it's really debatable at this point, which which would have been worse. So, but um. I think that's going to bring us to a close. Jerome, do you have anything in closing you would like to say about all this? I would just like to say that it's it's really sad to me what's happening to Ring of Honor. I don't think I've conveyed this, so I'm going to do this now. It's really sad to me that Ring of Honor is where it is because when I think about how I became an independent wrestling fan, a lot of that, almost all of it, has to do with Ring of Honor. And Ring of Honor was the gateway for me to start following any of the other alphabet soup promotions from PWG because the reason that I got the first battle of Los Angeles DVDs that I did was because there were ring of honor guys on those shows and dragging the guys to be fair, but ring of honor was a heavy influence on me starting to watch PWG. And that also spawned me watching Takara and AEW and AIW and all of these different places. And without ring of honor, None of that would have happened. And I'm sure that there are a lot of wrestling fans out there who became connected to independent wrestling because of Ring of Honor. And I think it's, it's, it's really sad to me that we are talking about this company that it just feels like they're on life support right now. And 
I would love to say that I want to see it saved, but at a certain point, we all have to make tough decisions about our loved ones and letting go. And unfortunately, I think this is a case of we're going to have to let Ring of Honor go at some point because this is not sustainable and it's it's really sad. And I know that you know if Ring of Honor does go away in 2020, I know that I'm going to be doing a podcast, multiple podcasts about it and talking about the memories that I have and all these all these things because I do have a lot of positive memories about Ring of Honor and the nights spent at the Frontier Fieldhouse and the fact that I've seen Ring of Honor in the state of Indiana and the state of California and the state of Arizona and all these different places. I mean, it's not just it's not just me going to Chicago. I mean, I saw Ring of Honor literally around this country in multiple time zones and multiple places. And it's it's really sad that that that, that could all just be over at some point because it's like a part of an important part of my 20s would go away. And that's really a big reason why I wanted you on to do this because not only do I just, I respect your opinions on wrestling, but I, I knew that Ring of Honor was extremely important to you and what it meant for you as a fan and to get into the writing of it and everything and the people you met through it. And I don't want that lost on people. I mean, this company is in a horrible, shitty situation. It's not good. You cannot frame any of this stuff in a positive. Right. And let's be honest, I also work cheaper than Ari Berenstein. So that's also really important to know. He's a killer, man. He's, he's, I think he thinks I'm making the Tony Khan money too, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean. I mean, I literally wrote columns of honor when, when Ari Berenstein would go away. I would literally, like, that's how much I love the Ring of Honor. Like, I would put ridiculous amounts of work into the column of honor, which I was not being paid for because I loved Ring of Honor. Yeah, and that's that's the thing too. It's like the company is important to so many people, and that's another reason I I I sit there and I just think to myself, I wish I had the answer because I don't. I'm being honest. I, I'm not the guy with all the answers. Larry, they should give us the book. We should be able to run Ring of Honor if they did that. How amazing would that company be if they put us in charge? Well, I mean, there's no way we could do worse than Delirious. <laughs> yes, we would have to go and find his stash and throw that all in the garbage and then get to work. But, I mean, again, because I'm not the I told you so guy, man. It's just I, I, I want this company to turn around. But, again, it's going to take a total change of the system for that to happen. And It I, is. It has to start at the top. Management, Delirious, they have to get rid of all that stuff. And... You know, not the promotion as a whole, but sometimes you need to burn things down to salt the earth and make it better. Like Seth Rollins says, right? Burn it all down. Well, no, Seth Rollins can fuck off. Anyway, but you can, you seriously just need to do that with the entire upper management department from the business aspect to the wrestling aspect. It just, it has to happen and it's not going to change unless they do. I'm sorry, Bully Ray hasn't helped. He's done nothing positive. Delirious has been there forever. He's done nothing. He's made no stars. Things have just gotten worse from a creative standpoint, from a drawing live attendance standpoint, to just the overall, not only just the influence of ROH these days, but the the status it holds in wrestling. 
Because even when ROH wasn't the most popular thing, I would do reviews and all these people would flood to it because, oh, I remember when I went to a show at so-and-so and saw Jay Lethal had this great match. I'm glad to see he's still kicking ass or something like that. Because people always had these memories and they were still holding on. And nowadays when I'm reviewing ROH, it's, it's like a wasteland at times. And I get the jokes that ROH is still around. Because yeah, I that's mean, that's really sad, too. Because yeah. I remember it was not easy to find Ring of Honor reviews at a certain point because they weren't really on TV. So I would read the column of honor every week and I would be anticipating reading it. And I would read what Brad Garoon and Jake Ziegler would say about a Ring of Honor show because I think so much of what finding these different companies is also then engaging in conversation and seeing what other people think and trying to enjoy these shows together. And I think as much as like, this is something that bothers me, not just about wrestling, but movies in general, there is not a single critic in this world, whether they're being paid or not, that goes into a movie, TV show, wrestling event, whatever, and says, I'm going to hate this, or I want to hate this. Those people would not have jobs. If you went into every wrestling show and Larry, you wanted to hate it, then you would be the biggest misanthrope in the world because you were literally review every wrestling show you want them to be good because my guess is it makes your life a hell of a lot easier if the shows are good your writing might be better if the show is bad because you can get funny and humorous but my god i mean your life would just be easier if every show every week was great and you're very true i've said this a lot over the years it's while every once in a while when there's a horrible show it is kind of fun to vent and make jokes and stuff it's also extremely difficult because there's only so many ways you can call something bad when it's really bad without sounding repetitive and like, like it's a hate fuck review. I, I go into <laughs> these shows and I, I like, I, I'm, I'm generally excited for wrestling all the time. Like I know raw is not a great show, but it's like, I, I go in there every Monday and I'm hoping for a really good show. Honestly, my favorite part of raw is five minutes after it's over when the Garrett Kidney tweet appears <laughs> and it says <laughs> people will try to convince you that Monday Night Raw was good. Don't believe it. It's a trap. That is my favorite moment on Monday night because it happens every week. <laughs> I laugh every week and favorite it every week. I'm not going to lie because it is funny. Like I'm almost sad that the, he ruined the gimmick by saying that he pre-planned the tweet. Like I would just like to think that he's just staying up wherever he lives and it's just tweeting that at 10.05 or 11.05 on the East Coast. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I hope it can change, Jerome. I'm not convinced it will. But stranger things have happened because, again, the NWA is back, MLW is back, and Impact is still around. I hope that sometime next year it is it – is that you and I are hired to run Ring of Honor, and we will we will do it justice. You know, I'm not going to set my goals that high, but I'll tell you what, I'd love for this time next year for us to get together again and go, remember when we spent 90 minutes talking about the demise of ROH? Can you believe they turned this fucking shit around? If they turn this around by next year, then I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't even want to bet on it because I don't know where I would bet, but I would be very surprised. But I hope, I hope, I hope that they salvage something in this next year. And Hopefully there's a ring of honor to talk about next year because 
at this point. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so I, we will close. Uh, Jerome, I want to thank you very much for your time tonight, man. It was very good talking to you again. It was good talking to you. Um, we should definitely do this again at some point, and hopefully we can discuss a happier topic because this, like I said, this was kind of depressing. But I think that it's it's good to talk about Ring of Honor because – I think this is a promotion that has so much history associated with it. It is a company that means a lot to a lot of people. And there's a lot of people out there who may forgot (laughs) just how much Ring of Honor has meant to them. But I, I am a firm believer that the reason that there are so many indie wrestling fans and the reason that AEW is as popular as it is, is Ring of Honor is partially responsible for that. I mean, if you look at NXT main, NXT's main event scene, Ring of Honor is always 100% responsible for that. But the, the influence is so far and wide. It is. Just, there were so many classic matches, so many guys that came out of there that have gone on to bigger things because they got that initial platform in ROH. And Larry, you, but you can stream all those classic matches and shows on the Honor Club, correct? <laughs> no. Had to had to get that last dig in there, you know. Yeah, and that goes back because you did make the point about trying to make the streaming service viable. I mean, it's a bargain in terms of if you buy the yearly subscription, you'll save money on the pay per views alone, and then you get all the live honor club stuff. But where they're losing money is that they have not uploaded that library. Right, and we call that the Larry Zonka tax write-off is what you call that Honor Club membership, right? Uh, no, we, we call that the 411 pays for that law, so. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works, man. Whatever works. I get out of all the paperwork. But, no, thank you again, buddy. Uh, we will definitely try to talk about some happier stuff soon. I want to thank everybody for listening, and uh, we will talk to you later on. And with that, I would like to thank Cubs fans, Steve Cook, and Jerome for their time today. You have been listening to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Please remember you can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please subscribe to the show, follow us around, share us around on the internet, and just keep supporting the show as we greatly appreciate all of your time. Take care, and until next time, I am Larry Zonka. Have a great week.